we should be having a public dialogue and it should be something that rises to the level of legislation. We should not allow the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Defense to allocate funding to amplify these agents so that allegedly we can study them in the case that they fall into the hands of bad people. Because the evidence has shown us that the bad people who actually have unleashed these pathogens since 1991, and by the way, if you go to Miscellaneous Memorandum 7 and other documents, we can go back to the 1950s. The bad people who unleash these things on the population are us. It is the U.S. who's doing it. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, November 26, 2023. Thank you for joining me, t- joining me today. I have a great show planned for you. Opened with a clip from our David Martin interview because I have a, a section I'm going to start with today that I think is it's not just about the COVID-19 illusion, not even just about vaccinations or injections, but a larger perspective on how, and really, in my opinion, does kind of overlap with the conversation of war or what takes place during warfare, more the kind of surreptitious side, you know, peripheral concepts of what governments do while nobody's paying attention, that I think it all overlaps. We're we're definitely going to talk about some uh, some follow-ups on the discussion of Occupied Palestine, some developments in regard to, in particular, IDF members admitting, I don't know if it's inadvertently or or why this is being played by Channel 12 in Israel, but openly stating that they were directed to shoot at places that they, that basically it says, They say, you know, tells them to shoot and they ask, are there civilians? And the answer is, we don't know, shoot anyway, something to that nature. And we'll get into it. I mean, this is directly from their mouths. Not that you need to know this because it's already been confirmed about four times over, but it's just interesting that's still being denied and how that changes the entire story. It's a very important conversation. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go over um, some more developments in regard to foreign policy kind of around the larger conversation and what is also developing in that regard, some more fake news and some of the most embarrassing versions of the things we've seen done before kind of resurfacing. And I'll have some thoughts on why that is. I think that's important. More violations, at least as I see it of the ceasefire that I think are really just some either parts that were intentionally left out or, you know, the, com- the conversation around the West Bank and how that includes, even though it wasn't discussed, we're talking about Gaza and the war on Gaza. But interestingly enough, as there are still actions being taken against the West Bank, which continues to show you that this was a, a war on Palestine. If this was a ceasefire with Hamas, then why are they still bombing, attacking, killing people in the West Bank? Isn't that interesting? See, it kind of changes the whole dynamic there. But we're also going to get into uh, some more discussions around the Palestinian prisoners. And there's a great article from The Intercept entitled Israel's Insidious Narrative About Palestinian Prisoners that's been completely blindly towed by all the people you might expect, telling you every single person coming out of there is a terrorist. And we're going to get into the reality of the situation and what these people actually are and what Israel's entire system is set up to create in your eyes. And of course, I'm 
upsetting things to understand the full picture of what's continuing to happen that's been ongoing for 75 years. But we're going to start today, well, really just to give you a quick, uh, give you the link to the David Martin interview, which I definitely think is important to listen to since we started with that clip. Uh, One second, let me, looks like I might have lost my, I get really, oh no, that's why. Sorry, I was adjusting the screen for a second. It looked like it was a little off center. But David Martin interview, the COVID illusion and the criminal World Health Organization driving. And in case you'd like to watch that full interview, very important interview. This 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 one was one of my favorites, to be quite honest, the entire thing, because he's very analytical. He's very, you know, makes the main point that I keep trying to make. It's not necessarily about, it's always about what's correct, the facts and what and what we can prove, but more so trying to use their information, whether true or not, what they've stated and repeated to to hold them accountable and also wake people up to what, even if their lies are, are, even if what they're saying is false or not, that they've later contradicted what they said then, whether or not it's true, if that makes sense. And it's really interesting to see their evolving narrative and how often what they say contradicts what they previously said, not with new information, not with new studies, just because it suits their agenda. And so we had a really great conversation. He always brings it back to the patents and the information and how important this is. And shockingly, how obvious it is that they're responsible in many different ways. And yet nobody, even the ones that are aware of that are doing anything about it. Sort of like right now with the genocide convention and why nobody wants to initiate this as Sam Husseini continues to point out in only one state needs to initiate this process. So then the Hague can begin. Basically charges could eventually be brought against people involved, not to say they're even going to submit to that, but all these people, all these governments around the world saying genocide, not doing anything to initiate a process to hold them accountable for it. That seems deliberate to me. In any case, back to this opening point, opening segment I want to get into, and it's, it's a good chunk of this. I think it's important. So the point being, as the clip we played, that, you know, it's 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 us, as he says, and I it, he means, you know, for the average person to think of it, but it's the government of this country and the Western powers that are responsible, as his point was specifically for releasing the very things they then blame on other people. Now, you can disagree with them if you want. The point, though, is to get into a bigger conversation about that, whether it's about pathogens, whether you think viruses exist or not, or bacteria, if you want to look at it that way, or however, just releasing something that is used, experimentation on the average person for their benefit in no way for your safety. We're going to start with a clip from Ben Swan he released today. My brother actually sent me this today. Flashback to 1995, when Bill Clinton apologized to the survivors and families of those who had been unknowingly subjected to over 4,000 government-sponsored medical experiments. And as Ben writes, still think your government has your health and well-being in mind? Now, it's really naive to pretend like, no, that was a different time. It's really not. Many of the same people are literally still making decisions in this government. We have to realize that this is not something different. In fact, it's only provably gotten worse today than it ever was, especially after coming out of the COVID-19 ongoing illusion, mind you. Now, really, I want you to think about this. This opening segment is going to be focused around experimentation, largely leaning in the direction of biological entities or concepts. But think about this in the bigger picture, both in this very specific point about whether something may be happening to people. Let's just make it specifically to Palestinian detainees. And what Israel may be doing to them in there. There's a point that actually stands out about that. There's a detainee that's claimed that they were gassing them with something while they were in there. Now, of course, people may say it's because they were trying to, you know, tear gas or whatever. But we've talked about this many times over the years. Provably, even international organizations have called this out. Whatever they use in that is not tear gas. People have seizures. People can die from whatever they use. Some kind of chemical weapon. This has been talked about many times. 
But overall, my point is to wonder what else may be happening in this regard and whether these may tie in with larger conversations or even the idea of what's happening right now in Gaza, how there's this building problem with the illnesses that are developing because of what they are doing and what they're not allowing to happen. All of that can tie into some bigger conversation. Now, is that just negligence? Is that vitriol? Is that hate? Or is it experimentation? I'm more leaning towards the, the former, but ultimately it kind of opens the conversation to what else might be being done around this. What, what's going on in Ukraine right now? We're not even looking over there, most people in the world. So what, what are the Azov movement doing now? They've been involved in all sorts of the bio labs in Ukraine. There's all sorts of stuff that this ties over with and what their real objectives are. And let's not forget going all the way back to the Nazi conversation, which we now know the Lehigh party, the Ergun party, Zion, its origins directly tied into that multiple times, tried to align themselves with the Nazi organization. So we shouldn't be questioning whether or not they're capable of the same kind of experimentation, the same kind of manipulation as we saw. And we understand the line with that. With that, forget the name exactly, but you know the, the the origins of the horrifying experimentation, the human experimentation, or even Dr. Ishii from Japan with the biological experimentation. All this stuff stems back to these people, these governments, these controlling entities. And as Dave Martin said, it's it's us. It's always been these people. So let's listen to Bill Clinton acting like this is something that's in our past, but as we know for sure it wasn't, even just from the COVID nineteen illusion. Government sponsored experiments did take place at hospitals, universities, and military bases around our nation. And they still do, without your knowledge. The goal was to understand the effects of radiation exposure on the human body. Largely for military purposes, not for safety, but for attacks, for aggression. While most of the tests were ethical by any standards, some were unethical, not only by today's standards, but by the standards of the time in which they were conducted. They fail both the test of our national values and the test of humanity. In one experience, scientist experiment, scientists injected plutonium into 18 patients without their knowledge. In another, doctors exposed indigent cancer patients to excessive doses of radiation. Now, mind you, the vast majority, if not all of what he's mentioning, are government-sponsored experimentation. That's, that's what we're talking about. Not some random doctor that was found out because he's a maniacal maniac. That's how we all get, this all gets framed, right? You watch the Lifetime movie that night and it's about that one mean doctor. That's always how they want you thinking about it. Very rarely is that what's going on. It's almost always stemming from something, some, you know, higher level activity. And that's not my opinion. That's just looking through history. A treatment from which it is virtually impossible that they could ever benefit. The report also demonstrates that these and other experiments were carried out on precisely those citizens who count most on the government for its help, the destitute exactly. and the gravely ill. Almost always, whether that's an, a eugenics mindset or just knowing that they have the least amount of resources to be able to potentially marshal anything against you, whether it's in a public sphere or in a court of law, always. Does that sound like an entity? Always, you know, you get always the same point. They don't care about you. But the dispossessed were not alone. Members of the military, precisely those on whom we and our government count most, they were also test subjects. What a perfect picture, right? You got the people with the least about the least amount of influence and ability to push back, and then people that are are like signed their life away more so than any other citizen. They already see you as theirs, right? As Derek just wrote our children or, you know, the way the government sees your children as our children, but military, it's one step further, right? They believe they own all of us, but more so specifically the right to them, at least while they're in their service and, you know, more so afterward 
or to the to a degree afterward. But think about that. that we've seen this going back to swine flu, the many different times they've experimented on these people without their knowledge, and then just pushed it out in the past as something that was, you know, we're just trying to do what's right, potentially for your benefit, right? The point is we can look back and know that it had no bearing on anything. No, no, nothing about it was about helping people. It was about trying to figure out one, whether they were susceptible from a defense perspective, that's not about your safety or being able to use this against other people. Informed consent means your doctor tells you the risk of the treatment you're about to undergo. In too many cases, informed consent was withheld. All of them. Americans were kept in the dark about the effects of what was being done to them. The deception extended beyond the test subjects themselves to encompass their families and the American people as a whole. For these experiments were kept secret. And they were shrouded not for a compelling reason of national security, but for the simple fear of embarrassment. And that <laughs> was wrong. Oh, was that what it was? They were just worried they were going to get red cheeks and feel embarrassed? A little sheepish? Hardly. They were worried they were going to go to prison, right? And that's exactly, even, even now, even in the admission, you can't be honest about the reality, right? You really, you're worried about being embarrassed in front of the community for murdering people or for testing things, or for spraying biological agents over the San Francisco Bay. Oops, we just were worried being embarrassed. It's, a, it's egregious and it's never stopped because they already know how this works. Oh, well, you trot somebody, yeah, let Trump go out and be, oh, whoops, we made a mistake, right? We will, we'll do better next time. And everybody just, I mean, not everybody, but the ones that were, were sh they're shoved in front of your face on the nightly news that act like they're the ones that matter will tell you, we accept your apology. We'll do better next time. No, that's, the, that's just the fourth branch, guys. This is never stopped. And we've shown you this many times. This is an article originally from the Free Thought Project. U.S. Army's admitted that it secretly conducted at least 239 germ warfare tests in locations across the country targeting unsuspecting Americans. That's just the Army. 239 times. Here's the report, by the way, if you want to read it for yourself directly from, you know, if it, if it means more to you to come from something like the Washington Post. I don't know why it would today, but I guarantee somebody was going, that can't be true. Oh, look, there it is on Washington Post. Still, people do it today. Even people in this audience, I know, somehow means more when it comes to the Washington Post. It shouldn't, as long as you can prove it for yourself. The Army conducted 239 secret open-air germ warfare tests on Americans. This, from 19, uh, this is 1977. And we've covered this in the past already, kind of using that same point and bringing it into a COVID-19 timeframe. In Coronavirus We Trust, I entitled this Medical Surveillance State for a Government That's Experimented on You 239 Times. You know, so we can prove. This, you know, understand, if you read these articles, this is about things like, like the one we all know about, Operation Sea Spray. It's because it's been admitted to. Even though most people still, the, most people don't know it, but people that do know about these things are aware of Operation Sea Spray. It's where they sprayed it on the San Francisco Bay. It was a it was a biological agent. They were arguing this. They wanted to know how susceptible people were. What do you mean how susceptible they were? As susceptible as a person can be to a biological agent. They're very aware. They were not confused about how biological agents affect people. So what was the logic of spraying it into the San Francisco Bay? Because they wanted to see if it hurt you. They wanted to see what that agent did to you so they could use it on other people. But then told you it was for your safety. Now we know you're susceptible to biological... Yeah, they knew that already. Somehow that floated, though. And we, nobody was held accountable. Just doesn't, people died. I think one or two people died when that happened. Now here, just so we understand that in the context of your government has never stopped experimenting on you, you are there. Just like, look, look at what Israel did. 
Pfizer's lab. And then literally on the record, as if nothing, nothing matters, made it very clear that we did this because we wanted to know what would happen. Right? We have a multifaceted group here. What happened? What happens if you have diabetes? What happens if you have that? He said that on the record. That's why it was Pfizer's lab, because everyone got Pfizer and they sure as hell took the data. Israelis are outraged about that. Just, you know, you don't hear that in the United States, but they're, they've screamed about that. That's why they're just before October 7th, they were ready to put Netanyahu in jail. And I mean that literally. But experimentation's everywhere. Now, what about something as, as, as seemingly benign to most people that is literally ubiquitous in our world that is very dangerous? That maybe started as an experiment, but now is maybe just a byproduct, maybe just to keep you docile. However you want to look at it, all these things have been proven with peer-reviewed science, but they're still called fake news, which is absurd. Fluoride. Derek's written about this a lot. But here is a person discussing the first doctor who tried to warn you about the fluoride. Who they're all, who, By the way, you'll hear about this the next 10 so years as they quietly walk this back because it's too late. All the information has come out. The lawsuit is there. All these different groups have been exposing this. It's been almost a decade now. They've been trying to keep this from your view. You'll hear it. Whether you chose to listen to Derek's work and understand that it's already been exposed or wait 10 years or so for the corporate media to say they've discovered it later after it's already too late, it's up to you. The point is, it is hurting you. It's lowering your children's IQ. It's causing all sorts of, it's, it's causing effects that we won't even get into on the show because it'll derail the conversation, but things that you won't want to, you don't even want to hear, especially if you've been drinking water from the tap your entire life. But the point is, a doctor tried to warn you about this, a well-respected doctor, and it was a long time ago, and he got attacked, derided, disregarded. Uh, he was the first physician to warn of the dangers of allergic, fatal allergic reaction to penicillin. Now, Walbot warned, was one of the first physicians to warn of the dangers of emphysema from smoking. He saw in his own uh, surgery, in his, his practice in Detroit, Michigan, uh, that people were coming in with these uh, ailments, unexplained ailments, whether it was back pain or gastric distress, uh, muscle fatigue, uh, headaches, uh, and he figured out that it was low-dose fluoride. That, as with a lot of drugs or chemicals, there's a small subset of people who are uniquely allergic to the chemical, and Walbot realized that it was fluoride, and he performed uh, a whole series of double-blind experiments. Uh, now realize, he's not even getting into the full picture that is now being exposed today, even though no one, no, none of the corporate media is talking about it. I'll show you, the, the, I'll give you the links to look at after we're done with this clip. This is just talking about like an extreme reaction understand it is being proven and has been proven. I mean, it's like looking up things about COVID-19 vaccine side effects where you'll find 47 peer-reviewed studies, but you, will be, you won't be told about it. In this case, it's everywhere. You can look this up. It's been going on for decades where people have been proving with peer-reviewed science that it undeniably lowers your IQ, affects all sorts of health issues. I mean, it, it's uh, it's not just dental fluorosis. I mean, it's ridiculous. The lies about this topic, especially if this because this is simply a byproduct that has been used because it needs because they want to profit from some kind of byproduct they this comes from I forget the exact process it comes from but ultimately not only has it been forced into your life so they can benefit from something they would otherwise have to pay to get rid of which is the reality now they you pay for them to put it in your water it's been shown to have all sorts of interesting other effects too in regard to pe like th there's conversations about the Nazis and experimentation believing that it actually was you know mind control and all these different things but you can very clearly prove that it has detrimental effects in particular with children Roundly been shown. Uh, where people were given some fluoridated water without knowing it and the symptoms recurred 
and very quickly Walbot's name, rather than being seen as this giant of public health committed to safeguarding public health, uh, somebody who'd warned us about penicillin or uh, tobacco, suddenly George Walbot becomes this marginal fringe figure who uh, is, uh, is criticized for his opposition to fluoride. One of the earlier examples of how that works, right? Where they early, you know, they, they, I think long before that they realized this, but how easy it was to simply go, you know, and somebody who had standing in the community, somebody who was, and it also, it also is a demonstration of how quickly that community will eat its, eat its own the moment they're told that person broke rank. Right. I mean, but he came out and he's somebody that people trust and he had information. He's already broke different stories. Oh, you can't go foul the fluoride people. Suddenly you're a pariah and that bald suit. And that's something that takes place again and again and again. Speaking out as a doctor or a dentist against fluoride is, is, is the third rail. Uh, it's, it's fatal to your career. Uh, we don't know George Wolbot's name because he was smeared by the Public Health Service for his opposition to fluoride. Yes, he was. Another person, I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll see the re relevance of this in a second. The person who invented, I forget the name that he was used, but basically a pulp press to make paper, but for hemp. Designed a specific machine that would make hemp into paper in, in a very pr fast, you know, basically the, the equivalent of the, 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 I forget the name of the machine, but, you know, that turns pulp into paper. That we, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but it's a commonly known name because he's famous because he made that machine. The point is the person that created one that would revolutionize, you know, for those that understand how much better hemp is in so many different regards and how much less you need to grow and how fast it grows compared to trees and blah, blah, blah. The point is that person isn't known because of the, what happened regarding hemp and it was turned into the conflation of marijuana and so on. The point is there's a lot of these kind of things. Now, this is Derek's work on the fluoride trial. He's still going to be following up on this, but there's been a lot of great work he's been covering. This has been going on for a very long time. And the National Toxicology Program, the United States NTP, has been trying to get this to your in front of you for years. And every time they say the report is done, and by the way, it got, it's been leaked. The report shows you what we're talking about. This is a government-funded investigation. And it's telling you, it says, it's hurting you. It does not have the, any beneficial effects. It's hurting your children's IQ. It has all sorts of problems. And you know what they've done? Rachel Levine in particular is one of the people that stepped up and said, don't let that go out. They want another review. Four, five, six review. They're trying to keep this from your view. They know this. Even the judge is getting irritated with this. The point is eventually this will come out. They'll probably try to still downplay it. But eventually my point is this will end up becoming common knowledge. You know it now because you're paying attention. Derek also covered a recent article, yet another study links lower sperm count with pesticides. All these things you can prove for so long. And he gets into endocrine disrupting chemicals, glyphosate, all of this stuff. You're drenched in these horrible, these things that are hurting you. Tying the endocrine disrupting chemicals to the transgender conversation or any number, cancers. and it's They know this. The average person doesn't, same reason. This stuff is out there. People in the know are very aware. They just realize, just like they just told you, PFAS being one of these forever chemicals, well, they go, well, now that you're becoming aware that PFAS are so bad and yet they're literally everywhere, we're going to finally give you the excuse that, well, we need it because everything we do in the military produces PFAS. And, you know, the military is needed to keep you safe. So don't worry, you're going to die from cancer when you're 35, but you'll be safe, quote, from the military unless we kill you too or other things we do blow back on you. But, you know, safety, 
I mean, it's my God, it's ridiculous, guys. This is stuff that you should know. Most of you do. The average American doesn't seem to understand this stuff just yet. How alarmingly bad this is. Glyphosate is in your clothes right now. It's in the air you're breathing. It's in the water you're drinking. I'm not making that up. I could, I go, I do this all the time, but I'm not going to waste time to go through it today because I want to keep going. The point though, this stuff's everywhere. Danger. They're testing on you. Half of this stuff is in fact just to see what happens or completely through negligence because they don't care if it hurts you as long as they get what they want. I'm not talking about just the U.S. government, mind you. Now, Ozzy17 points out in regard to the COVID-19 part of this, definitely part of the experimentation we're talking about, Philippines launches an investigation into the excess deaths. Isn't it amazing that so few countries have cared to even look into why they've got unprecedented excess death? How obvious is that? You know, sort of obvious like, Israel funding Nazis in Ukraine, you know, or committing open genocide and calling it freedom. You know, it's that stupid. They've lost control. The reality is that they have excess death almost acutely aligned with the massive amount of injections in these countries. And most of them are acting like they don't even care about it. Well, when, when pushed to it, they go, we're baffled. We're so alarmed. But look at this. Let's talk about that. Let's worry about your health care and this over here. You know, they don't care about it. Well, Philippines is launching an investigation. By comparison, they saw 66,000 plus COVID deaths from 2020 to 2023. You know how much they've had in just 2021 alone excess, not COVID related? 2,600, I'm assuming 262,000. 262,000 excess death, not COVID related, just in one year. One year. 67,000 excess deaths, just COVID related. Oh, wait, this says after that 2022. Oh, this, no, excuse me. That is 67. I thought they were rounding up right there. That's for the next 2022, still above it. But my point is in the year that they are supposed to have injections, that was the year of safety, we're told. They're investigating. People are going to start to find this stuff out. I don't know what they're going to try to do to stop this from happening, but I'll tell you right now that this stuff is, it's already out. You know that. They know that. They're just trying to keep this front up until something else happens. Robin Minotti points out something else you already know as well. Masks increase the risk of infection. Well, gee, breaking news. Not from Robin. Robin's doing great work. My point is, you heard this in 2020 from me. The, in 2020, that was one of the first things I was dying. The hill I was dying on early. Masks aren't statistically significant in reducing transmission. Oh, and then a 2020 or a 2015 study showed you that it re- increased your risk of infection, in particular cloth masks. Oh, that's right. The masks they were telling you are the only ones you should be using. These things are so obvious. So here's another study. Norwegian researchers find masks linked with increased risk of COVID. The very thing they told you to use. But you know all this. Uh, The editor of Epoch Times points out Pfizer has now filed a lawsuit against Poland. (laughs) This is how crazy it's getting. You know why? Because they don't want to buy the garbage injections anymore. They don't want any more of your death sentence juice. That's what they're talking about. Nope, we don't want it. Oh, but guess what? You've got a contract. We all saw this coming. These years-long contracts what these guys got muscled into. Now they're realizing maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't care. I don't know what the reasoning is, but the point is now they're going, nope, we don't want it. Now, one, that clearly shows you that everyone everywhere knows these things are deadly. Everyone. Now they're all just trying to play the right game to make sure they don't get held accountable or that they, you know, how, how, this is a, a game of accountability at this point. A spokesperson for Poland's health ministry told local news that over a year of negotiations failed to yield a compromise. 
of over tens of millions of doses. Now, why would they have tried to get that? Why would they have signed a contract for that many doses in the beginning when we were told two doses? Because they were always planning on let they knew from day one this would not be over. And now we're finding that out too. Remember, they we in, in many different courts, and in here, uh, I think it was Australia being one of them, Rinnick and the rest of them, they admitted it was never, even the you know, European Union just put a, a clip out. It was never, ever supposed to stop transmission or even infection. How, so, how was so it was going to stop, save your grandma? They said that right in the beginning. They knew they were lying. We all see this. So Pfizer has now filed a lawsuit against them. You have to buy our dangerous injections. That's, again, why Pfizer was so desperate to make these contracts. Even, remember, they were putting up, they were forcing them to put up things like their own military bases and different assets in, for if they, that's what's going to happen here, essentially. They're going to take them to court and try to basically take things from Poland for them not buying 10 million doses. You know how much money they have to, as it says right here, Pfizer's civil suit filed earlier this year in Belgium, demands they go, they pay roughly $1.5 billion. $1.5 billion from Poland. That's not going to go over well. That Polish authorities said last year they no longer want. Last year they said this. So it's this is incredible, guys. The point is that this is obviously showing you that things have shifted dramatically. So we'll have to see what happens. But in the process, what does Poland put out? Right, Because now Poland is going to have a very clear interest in showing you why they don't want them. Otherwise, they're going to be on the hook for $1.5 billion, which that means they could collapse countries, some of them. The point is that they are going to now, I think, be incentivized to be like, well, here, this is why. They're deadly. Or prove that they can show that they violated something right through fraud. If you can prove that they knew these things and didn't tell them, well, that would get them out of the contract. Well, let's see what happens. Now, Dr. Seema Holter also points out some really good news. He was covering this in general about the WHO, and I'm keeping track of this stuff. And if you know, especially even though I'm focused on what's going on in Palestine, I will keep you informed if I see anything big like this happening. Now, this is still in the process. December first seems to be the kind of central point. But he was saying in New Zealand, he was basically in New Zealand trying to get inform people and 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 you know get them on the right track of, in regard to both the WHO but also just the dangers of injections. By the way, he had a clip. Uh, I think I think I forgot to download that wasn't from today necessarily, but he had a great clip where he basically said, if you said no to the injection, you're on the right side of history. Coming from a Simo Holtra, one of the most respected cardiologists in the world, that is a huge statement. And we know that takes some courage for him to say that. But then this is the point. He says, we did it. This is from yesterday. New Zealand has apparently rejected the WHO amendments before the first. He says, don't underestimate the power of your speech and the ability to persuade people through dialogue and courageous compassion. Good for him. 100% agree. But that's just one. We need a lot of other countries to stand up. Malcolm Roberts also points out an interesting development. It's a good and a bad, apparently. He says, emerging industries was the topic in the recent Senate estimates attended by AgriFutures, a company an organization set up by the Australian government to help fund research and development in our rural industries. He said he's pleased that AgriFutures is active in hemp research and investigating in grants and trials, including one in the Northern Territory. He says he visited successful hemp farms in Queensland earlier this year, was curious how they had looked into these trials and, and, and uh, in Australia. He said, although AgriFutures claims its operations are free from political bias, 
He said they're tied to United Nations sustainability goals. Interesting way he tied this in, because arguably that seems pretty clear. That means that hemp is not in the future for the UN's perspective, which, by the way, is one of the most sustainable things you could possibly grow, if not the most sustainable thing. Do some research. It's not that hard to understand. He said, and, and, and the, the versatility, the utility of this, how many different things it can be, not only benefit, but make a product that is better, longer lasting, more durable than what's currently being used. I mean, it goes on forever. Paper, hempcrete, medicines. I've done, you guys know, I haven't talked about this in depth in a long time, but it's very important. I, that's what, that was the origin. That was the basis for the last American Vagabond when it started. Cannabis law reform and understanding what the, the reality is. What he's saying essentially is, that, you know, they've got some investment here, but they're also completely tied in with the sustainable goals, which do not incentivize that direction. He says that Levy, Levy, uh, they, they paid, um, Levy's paid to the company, AgriFutures, are also being spent on carbon farming, as he puts it, for carbon trading, which is a contrived market. Bug farming is another that AgriFutures is promoting. Why? Obviously, because of the UN Sustainable Goals. It involves growing bugs in intensive urban facilities, which is not supporting the farmers in the regions, unlike hemp. AgriFutures' bias toward these policies is, doing, is putting people out of jobs. Taking regional jobs and shoving them close to the cities and, and politi is political, no matter how you characterize it. I swear, this guy sees it, man. I, I, I'm very skeptical, always will be, about any politician. But I've, everything he seems to put out, I pretty much agree with. And it says, one of the purposes is the UN Sustainable Development Goals is to allow the globalists to get control of agriculture and food. This is coming from straight from his account. Or excuse me, this is Malcolm Roberts. I apologize. Rennick is one of the other ones doing a great job in this regard. But he says, uh, centralizing people into urban landscapes. AgriFutures' excitement about turning crickets into dog food is just another step towards that future. And as John rightly points out in the chat, I, I, mean, I hope everybody knows that, hemp is definitely not marijuana. Now, it's cannabis. It's not marijuana. It is, in the G it is part of the cannabis family. Most people don't even know that there's more than just, there's, there's hemp, there is, there is sativa, there is endica, and there's even ruderalis. Most people don't even know that. There's a different, look it up, people don't even know that. It's just another strain. But the point is, or rather, genus, I think. What's, what I think is important about this is, one, that they have the ability, we as a people, as a society, as a human race, have the ability to grow things that would, in fact, solve these problems in, immediately. I've written about this so many times in regard to how hemp alone could literally change the world. The point is that by arguing, growing bugs in special facilities, it's not going, if you were to grow massive fields of hemp, you could not only feed everybody, you could, I mean, like I, I can go off on this forever. All I want you to do in this regard is to look into this for yourself. And I've got more information I can include. This one's just called the hemp deception. I wrote these a long time ago. I've reposted them a few times. I think this one was probably originally written. Oh, I didn't actually write it in there, but it definitely wasn't written in 2018, but it was reposted. The hemp deception, the stolen future of the American people. And it goes into the history and, and you know, military budgets and what it's used for, why this is important and blah, blah, blah. But I hope you will go take the time to read this. And I've included some others. This one is simply just called The War on Drugs or War on Freedom, One Nation's Perception Slash Deception of Cannabis. Again, this one was originally written, I think, in 2016. But, I, you know, and again, I, I haven't read these in a while. I wrote these a long time ago. So maybe I have a different perspective slightly today. But overall, I still stand by the, the, the work here. This one is a, an important one, the top 10 marijuana myth that no one should believe. And it goes through importance, all sourced, cited information. 
I think most people are generally aware of how dumb this conversation has been, the whole briefer madness level that some people are still at in the government even. Mostly Republicans, weirdly enough, are just like ridiculous, like from 1970 mindset, like really stupid. And, you know, people like Alex Bernison will still maintain this is like the most dangerous drug and it should be illegal. And it's just like it's mind blowingly stupid, mind numbingly stupid. Anyway, this is a great little image to show you the you know. Animal animal bedding, it says nutritional supplements, essential oils, medicines, foods, paper products, molded plastics, textiles, body care products, construction, animal feed. I mean, or it is it'll make a better product in so many different ways. My point is that that's what's interesting about what he's pointing out here from sublime hemp to ridiculous crickets. See, in some places of the world, they still understand. Now, overall, before I go into the next part, this does still tie in. I just want us to think about the different things we're dealing with today, and whether it's experimentation, which we're still kind of talking about, but also the idea that they will actively take you in directions that are in their benefit that are explicitly not in your interests. And, and many of these are just to see how this works or how it applies or, you know, experimentation is a good word for overall how these things work. Now, Simon, thank you for sharing this. He shared this Defense One article right here. This is called Info Threats Demand a Cultural Shift, New Pentagon Strategy Says. Now, this kind of goes into the idea of the surveillance side of this. Now, we're going to talk about how they're now applying this, in, you know, or rather already did during COVID-19. Info threats. Now, what does that mean? I think we all understand that means things like this right here. That they'll claim is somehow influenced by bad guys. You know, Iran or Russia or China somehow. I don't, I'm unknowingly being influenced by their talking points. Which is just absurd. I mean, it certainly happens in somebody's, I mean, more likely the government more than anybody else. But the idea that this, even, and by the way, even if that was the case, even if you're out there knowingly or unknowingly regurgitating points from some other country's standing point, it is still your absolute right with free speech and every other thing we pretend allows your freedom to express these thoughts. So now what they're trying to tell you, and this, this was published in the 20th, is that they need to a cultural shift. I think this is just to catch the certain group mindset. All they're really saying is we need to adapt to the new world where information is key. But do you really believe that they don't already do that or know that? It's a strategy for operating in the information environment. Outlines how the Pentagon plans to better collect, process, and share data to counteract adversaries, weaponization of the internet, and emerging technologies. Right, so as they're currently living through one of the most embarrassing breakdowns in the control of information, with specifically Palestine, but COVID-19 and the rest of it, they're going, well, we need to... Reimagine how we control how you talk and speak and think and act. Like, that's what they're saying. Their adversaries are you. It says the DOD must embrace a cultural shift wherein information is a foundational element of all military strategies. So are we really to pretend that that's not currently the, what are they from? Are they existing from some like 1800 mindset where information doesn't matter? Even then. I mean, is there any point in history where information was not wildly relevant to military strategy? It is the only thing that ultimately matters. Strategy is not action. So this is just, this falls flat. This is them simply trying to conjure up some narrative to explain, well, they're going to, you know, we're going to change things on you right now. We're going to watch you more. We're going to censor you more. We're going to, you know, everything. This is the Department of Defense telling you they're going to now shift into making information more important in their actions. Just, we should laugh at how dumb that is. And where the consistent integration of informational and physical power becomes the norm. 
Yeah, like they're not already doing that. All this is, in my opinion, is either stating this so you feel that what happens next is somehow because of what they're telling you it is, or that there's something very alarming around the corner here. You know, something very brisk, very like, you know, the internet suddenly shifts and we can't access it without logging in and in verifying our identity, right? We all know that's they're at least trying to make that happen. That's what I think this is about, something like that. Now it says, oh, and this was in just a document from July they only just told you about. This change ensures DOD capacity, capability to positively affect the drivers of human and automated system behaviors. Right, so they need to control how you act. It's pretty simple. Shaping environment, operational environments and reinforcing the strength and credibility of the United States. Oh, okay, so that's all it's about. Right, because all we care about is reinforcing the strength and credibility of the United States. Okay, well, that's, I guess, kind of a naive statement, assuming that those things are all in line together, right? Let me ask you this. What happens if the truth and strengthening their credibility are at odds with each other, right? What happens if the U.S. government is the one lying or the U.S. government is the one that just murdered people? And their job is to reinforce the strength and credibility of the United States. Well, their job then is to lie about those things, to sell you a lie about those things, right? So th this is the kind of naive mindset that aligns with that the U.S. is only fighting for freedom. We're only out there doing good things for good people all the time and fighting for your rights. Does anybody believe that? Even them? So the idea is that this is what they're, it's just like the Hasbara discussion from yesterday or the day before. This is the same thing. They're going to control your perception about how strong and credible we are, even if that's not true. The shift reflects the, and by the way, the government, not the people of the, Amer of the United States. Those are two different things. The shift reflects an increasing use of online platforms and emerging technologies as by, of course, China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, nobody else, which are using their informational capabilities to deny information accessibility and propagate malign influence, misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and deception activities to influence and disrupt world order. Only them, though, right? Because totally not also Israel, the United States, and you know, Britain, and France, and Spain. No, totally not. When they do it, it's freedom, right? When they, the other countries do the exact same thing, it's terrorism, right? It's sort of like that clip we just heard. When, when we do it, it's, it's counter-terrorism. When they do it, it's terrorism. But they're doing the exact same thing. Now, it says the DOD's new approach will allow the department to refine its abilities to campaign in and through the information environment across all domains in a global context. Hmm. Okay, so they're just being very blunt and clear about it. We want to be able to manipulate and control the thoughts and the actions through the information space everywhere in the world. Is that legal? Well, then you wonder why places in the world don't want to allow their social media apps. The same reason the U.S. wants to do it in reverse, because they all do it. No government is not trying to do this. But as Americans, from an American perspective, we should care as they try to present themselves as the better one, the more altruistic one, the one fighting for freedom, then we should demand that of them because that's not who they are. And then interestingly enough, it says using the electromagnetic spectrum to enable achievement of enduring strategic outcomes. I feel like there's more to that. It feels very weighted. We talk, you know, 5G, that's electromagnetic spectrum. I argue you could that word that phrasing could Im imply direct energy weapons. A either way, it's a very strange statement using the electromagnetic spectrum to enable achievement of enduring strategic outcomes. So that feels weighted. I feel like that's going to be relevant as we go forward. 
more so than it already is. The strategy highlights, quote, four lines of effort to enable the department to fully integrate and modernize operations in the information environment. Also kind of seems like they're admitting that they've fell behind, including new approaches to people and organizations, programs, policies, and governance and partnerships. In the July 5th letter accompanying the the document, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the DOD will focus on a renewed commitment to innovation, especially in the ways that the department acquires and employs cutting-edge capabilities. Oh, you mean so you're going to start taking off some of the things you've stored on shelves for 40 years that you don't let anybody see or use? Right. You, you understand. I think John Rappaport's been really pushing this lately in a good way. The, the U.S. government has acts they've passed where they are allowed to just shelve very important technologies that would revolutionize your life because it hinders something they want or something they don't want to be used. That there's, I mean, think of like, if you guys remember the movie, the Indiana Jones, I think the first one, the, te- or the, uh, the Crusaders, the, the, or the, or wait, the, something, the Ark, the one about the Ark, where at the very end, it shows that when the government goes, don't worry, we'll take care of it. It shows the guy just taking the, the Ark of the Covenant and just placing this thing on a shelf in the middle of a gigantic warehouse where everything in there is that important. And they just put it there, stamp it, walk away, right? That's what we're talking about. There's so many things that will benefit people or the world that that inventors have created that get stolen from them, as well as cures, right? Medical treatments, things that they don't want to be used because either they don't want to help you or they don't want to solve that problem to now or yet, or just technological advancements like with Nikola Tesla that they can't profit from, they can't monetize, and so they put it on the shelf. Maybe now they're going to go, oh, look what we just discovered, and make sure they can charge you for it. Remember like solar panels, for example, they only became mainstream once they basically routed it back through the system where you have to pay for it. On November 17th, Pentagon press release said the new strategy will also improve its ability to plan, resource, and apply informational power toward integrated deterrence, campaigning, and building enduring advantage. Tenants, it noted that align with the 2022 national defense strategy. It's all war-focused, guys. It's always on a war footing. Congress and federal agencies have highlighted foreign malign influence operations in recent years, such as the thing that we know didn't happen, Russia's interference in 2016. They just keep dumping that same statement, sort of like Assad chemical attacks, right? Well, you know, Ukraine, or Russia bombed the train station, right? Hamas bombed Ali Hospital. All fake, all lies. We've all proven those things to be the exact opposite, but yay, they just keep saying it. That's how it works. Okay, so that's important. Here's the actual report. If you'd like to go through it, it'll be in the show notes. Here is a report from yesterday that makes this very, very obvious and how this has already been going on. Ministers accused of a cover, accused of a cover-up as it is revealed shadowy army unit did spy on British critics of COVID lockdown policies. Not like you don't already know this, but let me, let me show you why this is important. Ministers were accused of a cover-up last night after it revealed that soldiers did secretly spy on critics of the government's response to COVID. They lied about it. They still lie about it. The release of new documents contradict official assertions that a shadow army unit had only been monitoring foreign powers. See? Same thing. No, no, it's Russia, China, bad guys. That's it. That's it. Well, it's not just it. The Mail on Sunday revealed, this is, these, this is the UK, right? The, this, this one's the US. The point is, it's never what they tell you. They're always lying. The Mail on Sunday revealed earlier this year that military operatives in the UK's, quote, Information Warfare Brigade, same thing, were part of a sinister scheme to keep a close eye on politicians, high-profile journalists, 
This, this, this is authoritarianism. This is a despotic regime. You're, you're, you're literally spying on journalists and politicians and hope. And if they go afoul of the narrative, you do something to them. Now, maybe we're not at the level of assassination or indefinite detention. Israel is. But the point is that it's we're obviously, I mean, I just think we're at a time where these governments have realized they can't, they, they need to always pretend like they're the good guy because they can get away with the stuff right up to that line. It says that we're a part of a sinister scheme to keep a close eye on them who raised this, just people that raised doubts about the response. They compile dossiers on public figures, which include people like us, such as ex-minister David, David Davis, who questioned the modeling behind the death tolls, which we now know were completely false. We even know that people like Neil Ferguson used his own opinions framed as fact. Remember 3.6 death rate? They proved it was less than the flu from the beginning. The Ioannidis group proved this. 0.008 for people under 19, I believe, off the top of my head, but it was very, very low. For the vast majority, for 92% of the population, it was less than the flu dramatically from the beginning. And it's only gotten less if it's even actually there and not just some other thing we've been dealing with the whole time. The point is that they were spying on him because he exposed that, not because he was wrong. And the mail on Sunday... Uh, and the Mail on Sunday uh, columnist Peter Hitchens, they spied on him and reported their dissenting views back to number 10, the, the government. Documents obtained by the Civil Liberties Group Big Brother Watch revealed the government cells included the Ministry of Defense's 77th Brigade, which deploys non-lethal engagement and legitimate non-military levers as a means to adapt behaviors of adversaries. So you guys, they deployed their own government and their information warfare live in real world action against journalists and politicians, <clears throat> non-lethal engagement and legitimate non-military levers. So these are people who are acting against, I mean, that's almost treasonous in a way. Think of how crazy that is. That's, you think that's not happening now from Israel, the United States, everyone trying to maintain and losing the control of the information around Israel and Gaza. They're drowning in their lives right now because we see through this. When the reports appeared, this back to the story from the UK, Ben Wallace, then the defense secretary, told the Commons the unit unearthed information on extremist alliances based outside the UK and that its role was to monitor or counter opinion. Right. So they were they were clear about that. We're doing this to influence and change you what you were saying, but they always pretended it was because Russia, bad guys, and they damn well knew they were doing it to you. The new information shows the 77th Brigade did produce reports on those who questioned government decision-making, even compiled notes on BBC's Question Time. Soldiers who filed newspaper articles and tweets made by politicians regarding Number 10's rejection of the international ventilator scheme in March 2020 under the label disinformation, which could have a negative effect on the UK's reputation. But it wasn't disinformation. Obtained after months-long freedom of information battle with the cabinet, Cabinet office, the documents appear to show personnel from the Information Warfare Unit dedicated time to managing the government's reputation rather than tackling foreign threats. Right. So their entire big narrative about protecting you from bad guys was false. They were actually worried about maintaining the reputation of the government. So imagine if somebody actually did try to do negative things from outside. They probably did. They don't even care. At the very least, they care more about influencing your perception of them than they do about protecting you from whatever they claim they are protecting you from, such as analyzing the response to fines for breaching lockdown on social media. Very important stuff, mind you. Obviously, I'm being facetious. 
Silky Carlo, director of, uh, of uh, Brig Brother Watch last night, said, quote, the MOD's claims that the information warfare unit's secretive work was focused solely on overseas threats are now ironically clearly disinformation acting as a cover-up for their political surveillance. Not only did they lie, all these are crimes, by the way, in order to spy on you, they were the ones committing disinformation or acting with, or spreading disinformation in order to stop you from spreading what they claim was disinformation, even though what you were talk, saying was true. Like, it's just ridiculous. Most of them know what they're doing. Free press and free speech are the foundations of any democracy, this person says, yet journalists and politicians appear to be treated like the enemy within. Glad you're finally paying attention. That's always been how they see you, unless you're going along with them, right? A journalist that does what they're told is, a, is, an, is an ally. Journalists that are actually journalists are seen as the enemy. A government spokesperson said, quote, online disinformation is a serious threat to the UK, which is why during the pandemic, we brought together expertise from across the government to monitor disinformation. So instead of admitting, they just triple down. And you, you, are you surprised by that? These units use publicly available data, including materials shared on social media. So you're basically going, yeah, we did it, but you put it out there. So it's your fault. So you don't care that tax dollars were used to spy inwardly with a group that was promoted to spot, to look outward. That you don't even comment on that guys. These are, these are people that believe they are completely acting with impunity. They do not believe they will see accountability. Quote, they did not target individuals or take any action that could impact anyone's ability to discuss or debate issues freely. Yeah, but they censored people. They focused and spied on your people instead of the foreign powers with tax dollars paid to do so and did this in a very surreptitious way that is, I mean, this is, it's amazing that they can't even just go, yep, yeah, you gotta, of course, they'll never do that. So keeping this in mind, realize that this is happening right now. In all of these information spheres. So let's go to foreign policy in general in regard to other aspects of, of, I guess, the Zionist war on the Middle East with U.S. support. Kavor Kalmasian reports, and this is from uh, today. Israel just bombed the Damascus International Airport. I mean, it's just amazing how, this ha how often this happens and nobody cares. It's not amazing. It's just now it's becoming painfully obvious to most people. What would be the reaction of the, quote, civilized world if Syria retaliates and bombs the Tel Aviv airport? Claims they targeted American arms cargo, right? Because the whole point is they're going, oh, we're bombing Iran cargo, which, by the way, Iran is allowed to deal with Syria. The U.S. does not have the ability to just arbitrarily dictate, you're now terrorist. Therefore, everything you do is terrorist activity. If they can do that, so can anybody else. Why can't Russia say, America, you're all terrorists, and therefore everything you do... We would go, no, that's outrageous. Well, it's outrageous in reverse. The only difference is people are blinded by their own perceptions. These people are other, I mean, it's, it, every one of these governments are out there trying to do the same things. What about the other argument? What about the fact that everything that's happening right now is the guy to say, well, they, they attacked us. We have a right to self-defense. Okay, well, then doesn't Syria have the right to bomb back? They bombed the civilian area. Right? Isn't it the argument that Syria, Israel's using them as human shields? Like, can we bomb them back? I mean, obviously that's really stupid. But think about how alarming it is that that is actually the standing argument that has been defended for almost 50 plus days. As he says, rules-based order my ass. Nobody seems to, no, you want to hear about this in the corporate media. They barely even, they don't even talk about this stuff. There's no legal justification. 
Iran being there does not give them the right to bomb a civilian airport, especially since it's an ally of Syria and they are allowed to be present. Doesn't matter though. Anti-war points out they strike the the host. I mean the the uh, the the airport, which again, by the way, just like everything else, these are supposed to be. It depends on. I mean, the airport can kind of straddle the lines, but ultimately, civilian airport is supposed to be protected location. The strikes came just hours after the airport resumed service for the first time since, guess what? Israel bombed it in October. Do you think that's an accident? Do you think it's because Iran just happened to coincidentally be there, right? No, it's because they don't want the airport working. The same thing they're doing everywhere else, bombing hospitals and schools. You're trying to stop infrastructure. You're trying to punish these locations. You're trying to hinder what they can do illegally, mind you. But of course, to people that are Zionist supporters, none of it matters because they're all Muslim, bad guy, Arabs, whatever. You know, some clumsy, bigoted statement that means nothing that they'll keep pushing. And one, another point I think important in this larger picture, I haven't gotten into this yet, but I want to point something out. Lord Bebo points out that the Houthis have hijacked another ship in the Red Sea. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what's happened. The Central Park fuel tanker, as it's called, Dessel, is owned and managed by a UK-based Israel-linked company, allegedly belonging to an Israeli businessman. It entered the Red Sea today, and this was on the 26th, and it was hijacked. Now, apparently, and that, there have been reports of three of them. Now, this is being widely reported as the Houthis, Yemen, have taken these, which seems like a likely reality. But let me show you something that's being reported in from today in the Times, the Express, excuse me. U.S. Navy engaged after U.K. T- owner tanks, the tanker seized off the coast of Yemen. Now, it says right here, the Israel-linked ship was boarded by an unknown source private security firms announced. It says the boarding took place offshore from Yemeni port Aden with another vessel in the area reporting, quote, an approach by eight persons on two skiffs wearing military uniforms. That arguably, I would I would argue that Yemen might, would, the skiffs don't seem to make sense, but certainly possible. It is not immediately clear who is behind the attack. Okay, so if this was a clear attack, like, you know, a, 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 I guess... Especially, well, that's our, the, who knows what, if this is being used as a military vessel, which I don't believe it is, you could argue this would be involved in the, the ongoing, what's becoming a world war, which already seems to be rolling out that way. But, my, but it seems to be a civilian tanker, which would arguably mean it's off limits. But then we have to realize that they continue to do the same thing. The U.S. uses Iran vessels and they do it nonstop. But the point would be if we want to try to engage in a legal way and point out the bad guys doing it, doesn't mean you do it back. That's what the U.S. and Israel do every time. Oh, they use cluster munitions. We don't prove that, though. We'll just give you some then. So you're just as bad as they are, and you didn't even prove they actually use them. Doesn't make you the good guy when you're doing the same things. <laughs> the point, though, I, w- I, would, I want to make it clear that I don't think it would, if, if Yemen is seizing tankers, and these are just because they're Israeli, you know, Israeli businessmen own them, I don't agree with that. That's a crime. The same way I would argue that Israel and the U.S. do the same things to Iranian ships that are just Iranian-linked. It's ridiculous. But the reason I'm saying that is because I don't know if that, well, first of all, because that's the truth, but I don't know if these actually are being taken by Yemen, right? Isn't it just as possible that we're seeing this being done by the Mossad or CIA in order to make it appear as if this is some, we've, you know, I, I don't know. All I'm saying is we should question this before we are, just go with the narrative that they took these. I think we need to make sure that's the case. But it's highly likely that Yemen would do this because their arguments are that they're supporting the ongoing genocide against, you know, the, they're supporting Palestinians. 
And if these are Israeli tankers, they see that as some, I guess, an action. Or maybe they're being used in the war effort. Maybe these are not businessmen tankers. They're actually shipping weapons or who knows. So we don't know all the information just yet. And nowhere in the corporate media articles are you going to find this. Another report in regard to the larger picture of Syria, Iraq, and so on. It says recent attacks on U.S. military bases in Iraq and Syria have pushed the number of operations against U.S. military assets in the Middle East to 73 since October 7th. An attack on Thursday morning saw resistance factions launch suicide drones at U.S. targets located in the uh, Ain al-Assad and Ibril air bases in Iraq. You know, all the illegal occupation areas. A barrage of rockets also targeted the U.S. occupation base in the Al-Omar oil fields, where they're currently and still occupying and stealing oil from Syria, which preceded an attack on the U.S. occupation Green Village base in Syria. CNN said these attacks mark at least 73 operations against U.S. forces in the region between the 17th and 24th. In support of the Palestinian resistance in Gaza, these factions in Iraq and Syria have launched a series of continuous attacks on U.S. military assets. Now, that this they can, these groups, I guess, argue that. It, I would say that's probably the that highly likely reality. But there's also the dynamic of what U.S. has been doing there and bombing them for other reasons long before the 7th, which they've been going back and forth about. So the PMU in, in general, Katayab Hezbollah and different groups that on the ground do very clearly have reason to bomb the U.S. occupation, whether or not what was going on October, uh, in, uh, in Gaza. But I do gr- agree this is driving the action. But I want to point this out again <clears throat> for an obvious reason. Nobody should want anybody to be hurt, whether military or otherwise. But we need to understand the facts. And if you want to be factual and unemotional, the reality is the U.S. is the illegal occupier, period. So when they are continuing to attack, they're doing so with legal international law protection. Per the Geneva Conventions, they have the right to arms struggle. They're going to continue to frame this as some ongoing onslaught of terrorist attacks. That's what they're doing everywhere. It's not true. It is the obvious reality that what they're doing is protected under international law. Because the United States is the illegal occupier in all of these locations, per the United Nations, per international law, the obvious reality. Now, this is an important uh, tweet, actually, from Brittany Ramos DeBarro. So I'm not familiar with, but she says at 22, here's a picture of her for the podcast, both in her military uniform, but also next to Debbie Washerman Schultz. (sighs) Her name just is gross coming out of your mouth. But at 22, she wrote... She writes, about to deploy to our global war on terror, she puts in quotes, I was I was your guest to the State of the Union, she, Debbie Washman Schultz. I believe I was being sent to save lives and terrorism. I trusted and admired you. I came home knowing I only added to the violence and people like you sent me to kill and die for lies. Guys, if you really do your research, I, I, I know very few people that leave their service and don't have some kind of sentiment like this. Now she's tweet linking to Debbie Schultz's tweets here. that says, I'm deeply heartened by this initial agreement that is expected to result in the release of children on the 21st. To be clear, this brings a flood of relief for some, but must be the beginning of return of all hostages by Hamas, blah, blah, blah. The point is this. However, Israel can and must co- continue to eliminate terrorist capabilities in Gaza to prevent Hamas from ever perpetrating the, you know, this, the group that they've been funding and propping up for a long time now that she doesn't know or doesn't care about. Because she this, she's one of the worst manipulators and she's bad at it, quite frankly. But she says, I'm also thankful Biden did not heed calls for an immediate ceasefire weeks ago. You're, oh, you're, you're, you're thankful that she, they were able to kill 15,000 people. Got it. As Israel could not have achieved this breakthrough 
Really? What's the breakthrough exactly? A unilateral ceasefire only serves Hamas terrorists who broke a ceasefire on October 7th. No, they did not. And vow to do so again. Here's the point. Well, I'll, just, I'll read what she says. Because it's, it's the point that I'm going to get to anyway. She says, I'm 34 now, 12 years later, and I risked my military, my military prison to tell the truth about these wars, but you're still peddling the same lies. Tweeting to essentially celebrate the scale of death and destruction you can't possibly fathom from your cushy office. I wonder why. And shows her pro-Israel funding coming from the you know different APAC groups and different things like that, the, the lobbying. But points out, you're operating as if our own numbers don't show that terrorism increased in every single place we did military counterterrorism operations for the past 20 years. Because again, point, point made earlier, it's terrorism operations. They just call it counterterrorism because they claim they're fighting terrorism. But what are they doing? Going out there and, con- and committing terrorist acts. Listen to somebody who knows who did it, who was there. Every single place we did counterterrorism, they see an increase in the thing they claim they're trying to stop. For the past 20 years, which makes you either evil or grossly incompetent, she says. Talking to Schwartz, or Debbie Washington Schultz. This deal was offered weeks ago, as we should know, and rejected by Israel. If Biden was pushing for ceasefire and diplomacy instead of discouraging the entire U.S. government from even saying the word de-escalation, as we know. The only difference would be hostages home sooner and thousands of innocent lives saved. This is basic, provable reality. Everybody's now been forced to admit, as even he did, and the Guardian, Times of Israel, everybody. He rejected it and now had been forced to accept the offer he denied from day one. Right. So Schwartz is over here saying, or Schultz, (laughs) thankful he heeded this because he couldn't have achieved this breakthrough. Well, no, you're lying, and you know you're lying. The only breakthrough was the murder of 15,000 people, 6,000 plus children. That's the only breakthrough. He could have accepted the exact same deal from the very beginning. She knows that. She's a horrible person. She writes, even if you don't believe these empirically proven points, to express gratitude that a ceasefire wasn't pushed sooner is to celebrate the killing of thousands of civilians, thousands of children guilty of nothing but being born Palestinian. Disgusting. She says, we need a ceasefire now. It's only the only path that saves Palestinians and Israeli lives. Good for her. Now, Arnaud Betran points out what Debbie Washerman Schultz is celebrating. The latest Gaza numbers from Swiss-based Euromed Human Rights Monitor that reveal the unbelievable scale of the atrocity. 8,176 children killed. 4,112 women. Women. of those killed were women and children. 61%. This is per from today. 92% of those killed are civilians. 92%. But they're they're aiming for Hamas, we're told, right? 18,460 people out of 20,031. 1,730,000 people displaced, more than 80% of the entire population. In just 49 days, which, by the way, means that 167 children killed every day on average. Seven every hour, one every eight minutes. Think about that. We've been live for an hour. That means seven children just got killed. 
Now, arguably meaning that on the continuing of their bombing campaigns. But you know what? It's probably not that far-fetched, realize, knowing that people they're buried, people can't help them, people are starving. Over the 49-day period, 167 every day. I can't even believe that we can pretend like that makes sense. 377 civilians killed every day on average. That's almost 16 civilians every hour. He says, I don't think this has many parallels in post-World War II history. Here's the graphic. So you can break this down. Gosh, it makes me sick. And of course, you know, you know what they do because of that? Right? The government stands up and says, no more. We can't, we can't align with atrocities like this. We can't support genocide. Of course not. They say, we'll give you whatever you need. Joe Biden removes, removes to lift nearly every restriction on Israel's access to weapons stockpile. Right? 16, 18,000 dead, do whatever they need. Give them whatever they need because what? Rules-based international order? There's no explaining this. They have signed this. They're, I think they know they can't come back from this. Now, here's, here's a few more lies that we want to go over to show you how egregious this is and how obviously lost they are. Yeah, they went this route. Straight up 9-11 passport level. This is how dumb this is. Mr. Eli David clearly showing, I mean, guy, I've never been the one to like even insinuate that somebody might be being paid, right? Because I just think that's a dangerous thing to do. But I'll tell you right now, how in the world people like this, I mean, you can read the comments. And, and these aren't just from people that are against him. Like these are people that follow him, that are supporters of him, that are going, You're lo- you've lost your mind. People that were aware of the COVID lie, who are now going, this guy was trying to tell truth during COVID? He says, breaking! Israel military found the vest of a Hamas terrorist. Apparently after, after 40 days. It's still just resting there, apparently. Next to his UNRWA identification badge. Because, see, they're so desperate to hide the fact that they've killed over 100 United Nations workers. And that's what's turned the support from these groups that are almost historically unparalleled, lockstep with whatever they need. That the worst they'd ever say is, we call for de-escalation on both sides as Israel's murdering people. Now, they're going, this is unparalleled. This is genocide. So they go, UN, you're a racist, you're terrorists. Which, by the way, I don't support the United Nations at all because I don't think it's a just body and I think it's been completely co-opted. But that does not mean that there's not individual moving parts that have, obviously, agency to be able to point this out. Or at the very least, they realize as a controlled entity that they can't do this anymore because they'll lose just like Israel is. Either way, however you view this, to pretend based on a random shot, who knows from where, when, what it is, that you could just go, look, we caught him. We found a badge. I mean, it's just obscenely stupid. I mean, it's not only insulting. I mean, let's do this really quickly, by the way. Look at the reverse image and see if it pops up. I I forgot to do this, actually. Come on. Everything glitching out on me. Oh, my God. What is happening? Jesus. Apologies. Things just don't work for me anymore. All right. No matches, which usually suggests it's new. But, you know, you can just look at the bottom for yourself. I mean, it's, you know, somebody goes, where? What about the passport? As I simply said, and, you know, tagging Antonio Guterres. Like, think about the absurdity. Like, the pure stupidity to think that you can tag him. What is he going to do? Go, oh, well, there's proof. 
I see a picture. That's what I should do, actually. Hold on. <laughs> Remember this? I just I just uh, responded by saying, you just got Twitter filed. Because, you know, how dumb it is to think that this image proves anything. Like, even, even if this was a completely reputable entity, you'd still go, okay, well, I can't just pretend that proves. I have to see, where'd you get it? Where where this all come from? It's just silly. My point is, can people really be this stupid? I bet they found his passport inside the Al-Shifa 2 with a special Hamas cover on it. They're, they, they are reaching, guys in a really embarrassing way. Because, okay, by the way, if you want to, if you, this, we should keep track of this to, to investigate this in general, or just to be completely objective, right? Are we really going to pretend that they wouldn't just make this for him? Like, the point is, the United Nations is not claiming that. Now, of course, they could lie. Of course, they could. But what you're stuck with is an entity, the the IDF, the Israeli intelligence apparatus, that has been embarrassingly caught. I mean, 15 times. Really, really bad stuff. Things that we should all laugh about if it wasn't so egregiously bad what was going on. So they could easily make this up, lie about it, alter it, make these things. Okay. Or it could be real. But then you got the United Nations over here who is not, in this context, shown to be lying about anything. They, well, they say that. You're a liar. You're racist. But that's, there's no evidence they've made anything up. And in fact, most of what they've stated, you can verify for yourself. So they're going, that's not true. We don't work with Hamas. None of our people work with Hamas. So what are we left to do? You, you trust Eli David, even though he's been saying things that are like laughably stupid? So, But the objective thing to do is, it's a picture that you post that I can't verify. Therefore, it means nothing until we can prove it. But, you know, going back to the other points, I have an additional point to this to show you what else they're doing so desperately trying to cover everything up. You know, the point from the, the Wikipedia page that literally said that Israel built the tunnels under there and the operating room in 1983 under Al-Shifa until they then quickly deleted it. And now it says, oh, it's a basement from the 90s. <laughs> you mean the basement that you found that wasn't a command center? So you had to rapidly change this so it looked like you found what was supposed to be there? How embarrassing. Nobody falls for this. And, of course, Ehud Barak, former prime minister, Epstein buddy says on the record, they built it in the eighties. And even the, even CNN goes, are you, did you misspeak? <laughs> Super baffled by it. And he says, no. Okay. Well, here's another point to this Thank This is from uh, Orwell, or uh, you know, from the chat Orwell, friend of the show actually works well with us and it gives us all sorts of important information. I mean, basically a part of TLF Israel official, Naftali Bennett discusses teaching teams how to edit Wikipedia to control the conversation. Thank you, Orwell. This? <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard to wrap your mind around. People, this is, people edit Wikipedia all the time. But this is just making sure you understand that this is something they do, not because they're trying to get the truth. You know, we want to make sure Wikipedia has the best truth information, right? No, it's because they state very clearly they want to control your perception of what's important to them. Hasbara. Moetzet Yesha, in conjunction with My Israel, uh, has arranged an instruction day for wiki editors. The goal of the day is to um, teach people how to edit in Wikipedia, which is the number one source of information today in the world. 
As way of example, if someone searches the Gaza flotilla, we want to be there. We want to be the guys who influence what is written there, how it's written, and to ensure that it's balanced and uh, Zionist in nature. Oh, okay. B balanced. Balanced, but Zionist in nature. So not balanced at all then. Completely one-sided. Got it. Like, think about, do you, do you think that there's just Wikipedia parties where they just have groupings come and they inform them on how to edit? This is obviously what you think it is. Just, it's just, but unbridled. They don't care. This is what we do. We control the information from a Zionist perspective. Like, this is teaching them how to control the flow of information on Wikipedia. That's exactly what we found out before. I came here to learn more about how um, we as Israelis and as Jews can defend Israel online, on the internet, and particularly in Wikipedia in this case. Okay, so it, it, she may be honest. Maybe she thinks she's doing the right thing. But is what she believes is the truth actually what's true? Or is she being manipulated by the Zionists? The point is simply that you can already tell that they have a very clear, like, I mean, just going back to the main point, right? That they already did this. Whoever. Somebody with the interest of protecting the Zionist agenda deleted what actually happened, changed it. You can prove this. Again, as Ehud Barak admits himself. So they're, treat, they're training people how to manipulate the story. Now, this is an important development in this, which I'm not sure was intentional. But what, it's, what this is, an additional story to what we've already covered. This was just our first coverage of this on the 27th, which stemmed largely from the Gray Zone article. Evidence shows Israel killed its own citizens on the 7th. Now, if you haven't seen this already, guys, this is not debatable. Helicopter pilots, security leader from the Kibbutz Be'ere, multiple hostages saying, we saw IDF kill hostages. They shot at people that were not Hamas. We were, in we were told to fire on cars that we didn't know if they held hostages. That's the, that's the, that's the helicopter pilots. Multiple sources speaking to Israeli radio, speaking to Haaretz on the record. And still they deny it. Now you've got another example. Channel 12 released this clip or a full, this is just the clip from the, the larger one where it literally shows these are apparently young 25 year old girls who are, uh, who have never really driven these tanks before, who were the ones weirdly chosen to use these tanks. And on the record, they said, are there civilians inside? And their commander said, I don't know, just shoot. And yet we're supposed to pretend like this isn't the most obvious thing in the world. Now, it's in subtitles for the podcast. We break into the community, crash the gate. And follow his direction. Shoot there. The terrorists are there. She says, I ask him, are there civilians there? He says, I don't know. Just shoot. People are still trying to deny this. I decided not to shoot. This is the Israeli community. I fire with my machine gun at a house. Now understand, it's very pro it's provable, even admitted by others that tanks did in fact fire. But my point is that this is already the re this is undeniable on the record. They were told to shoot at places they weren't sure had hostages. Now, I'm of the mind, by the way, that they knew they were hostages there because we've already had a colonel in the Israeli military admit this was what he called a mass Hannibal, a Hannibal directive, which means their directive is to kill the hostages so they can't be used against them. It's amazing what people will dismiss because they don't want to hear what this sounds like. 
It's their statements from their colonel, from their military, and the Hannibal Directive is a public reality at this point. And here now we have the evidence that they had people at the high levels telling them to fire on these locations. They told the helicopter pilots to do so, and they did. And, and right there, saying I fired on a house by a machine gun, right? So when they killed a hostage, they blame it on Hamas. You know they did. <laughs> we are in a battle inside this this area. There's also fire from <laughs> the that we're being told, anyway. And in the fire projectiles and machine guns. Simple. Also in the community. They knew there were people in there, guys. The terrorists did not fight the tank once the tank arrived. They either ran or died. So the tank definitely engaged. They killed dozens of terrorists. You know, and, and hostages. Many of them burned so bad they they thought they were people. They were they, they thought they were their people. Like think about how obvious that is. Remember they said, "Oh, we had to downgrade to twelve hundred because we thought it was fourteen hundred because they were burned so badly we didn't know that they were Hamas." Do you not see the obvious point there? So they clearly assumed it was hostages. So that means without fail that they were next to other hostages because they why would they assume they were hostages if they were burned inside of a house because they know they shot on places where there were hostages. So they basically admitted that publicly by rolling it down to 1,200 and saying those people were Hamas. Even though, remember, people like Chuck Costello showed you that image and said, oh, they're all babies burned alive with their heads cut off. Just towing lines right in the beginning, deleted that later. Robert, remember, told you they were Hamas before anybody did, right in the beginning. Think about how obvious that is. They killed their own people. The real question becomes, how many? Right? Did they? Was it all of them? Was it some? And what about the atrocities that supposedly were committed? Were they committed to cover up the fact they killed their own people, to make atrocity propaganda the focus instead of the fact that they could prove that people died at their own hand? I don't know. But I do know that these are possible based on what their open statements are, their open directives, and what they've done before. So that should matter. And I'll tell you right now, if you're an American listening, if you're in the Europe, in Europe, the Israelis are talking about this. They are furious. Listen to them. They're protesting in front of Netanyahu's house right now, I think. They're literally trying to get these people arrested. You need to listen to them and stop listening to your governments and the corporate media. And here is exactly why. Music festival massacre survivors involuntarily committed due to mental breakdowns. Sure, they all just had mental breakdowns. Or maybe it's because they were trying to tell you something that we weren't supposed to hear. Like, this is what villains look like. You have people that just survived something part of which was you're firing at them. Now you involuntarily, guys, that means without their permission, put them into a mental institution after they just survived something that you, you know, you're telling us they were attacked by Hamas and it was terrible. And you put them in a mental institution? Guys, I think this is very obvious. I think it's just like we're going to get into with the hostage aspect of it right now. Because these people are saying things they don't want the Western audiences to hear. That blew my mind. This is what villains look like. You don't care about your people. Hey, same as your government right now. They would just as quick put you in cell because you're saying things they don't want. This is villainy. Now, talking about some other ceasefire violations, 
We just talked about this on the 24th. Israel already violated the ceasefire. Gareth Porter exposed the Al-Shifa lie, revealing that they already actually found a command center on the 14th and just didn't. They reported it. It went out in the Jerusalem Post, but then made sure nobody else talked about it. And then it just shifted to Al-Shifa and lied about it. Gareth Porter is somebody that has very clear standing, long-term journalist that has a lot of clout in the in the area of journalism. And he is breaking this on Consortium News, and people don't seem to care. They just demolished this hospital under the guise that they found things there. And I, we can prove they brought things in. Even the BBC caught them live. And yet we just allow them to keep killing people. Like we're still debating what's going on. Well, in this is this is an interesting dynamic. Daniela Modos points out the occupation forces are launching airstrikes. This is from yesterday, late yesterday night, targeting a home in the West Bank. Airstrikes in the West Bank. Occupation forces are preventing ambulances from reaching the casualty. This is they're treating this just like Gaza at this point. So explain this for me. They're at they right now have a ceasefire with Hamas. That's the point. It's not with Gaza. Or if it is, that means they're proving to you that their fight is with Gaza, not Hamas, right? So either they're bombing the West Bank because they just want to murder people. And that's going to very clearly upset people that think they're at a ceasefire when they, I guess, they're. So, I mean, think about that. You're in Gaza and they're bombing people, you know, right over here in the West Bank and you're supposed to, they, we're, we're at a ceasefire. Their argument is they're bombing Hamas. That's what they say when they talk about West Bank, even though that's not the reality. So either they're violating a ceasefire with Hamas right now by bombing the West Bank, going for Hamas, because that's how dumb that is, or they're admitting that they're they're actually going after all of Palestine. You can't have this both ways. Is it a violation of the ceasefire, or are they just going after Hamas and, or Palestine in general? And this is a way of taunting them over there by going, we're going to keep murdering this place, but you can't fight because we made a ceasefire with you. This is just ridiculous. This is a villain, guys. These are bad people. Whoever, wherever they are, doesn't matter their ethnicity or where they, the point is anybody doing this is terrible. Here is an example. They killed four Palestinian boys in the West Bank in the last 24 hours. 14, 15, 16, and 17. That's their ages. In the last 24 hours, killed four four teenagers in the West Bank. You just can't not see this. Unless you're the U.S. government, of course, then you just blind your eyes to everything they do. Dr. Ishtar of Uruk points out, Dr. Mohammed Salim, and apparently this comes from their uh, their webinar from specifically the Palestinian Children's uh, Relief Fund. What he's saying is, and this, this was as of today, earlier today, so it might have changed by now, but saying that what they need, the priorities, electricity, fuel, incubators, ventilation machines, formula dis- disposables. Now, this is at the uh, Emirati Hospital, not the Shifa Hospital. That was the different point there. Anyway, but the point is, is till now, all they're getting is water. That's it. This, this is an insult. I mean, are, are, are they getting aid or are they just getting water? The bottom line, though, is that this is going to be argued that they did what they were supposed to by some kind of loophole, whatever, or just a lie. And that will end up being some sticking point. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. At the very least, it doesn't even matter because they're going to go back and bomb them when this is over anyway. But if they know they're going to bomb them, they're not going to do what they have to do. These people don't matter to them. 
And on top, just before we get into the hostage part of this, this is today. There, this is Reuters reporting: Hamas seeks to extend the truce with Israel with some conditions. Statement uh, with some conditions per a statement. It says Hamas announced in a statement on Sunday that it's seeking to extend the truce. And the point was for every. 10 hostages, I guess, that will extend one more day. And I think they'll only allow one more day anyway. Something like that. It's really, really, really silly. But Hamas clearly does not want this to continue. And I would argue they're going to try to stretch that out. But it's going to quickly be revealed that Israel doesn't care about that. Does not want this to stop. And that's what they're saying, mind you. And this, by the way, is while even... Oh, actually, this is the wrong article. But this is from... Uh, New York Times updating. Now, apparently they've completed three of their exchanges so far. Released a total of 17 more hostages today, including one American child. It's an Israeli-American child. The group said it was seeking to extend the truth, which which is slated to continue until Monday. And this is just so you can update yourself on the different hostage exchanges. Now, let's talk about the, as uh, the article put it here, insidious narrative about Palestinian prisoners. And we're going to go over some of the ones that have been released and some of the lies that have been stated about them. And I'm not going to play this whole clip. I just want to play the start of it to get you to make sure you check out this here. I'll actually include this too. The, the show we did on the 24th. Jason, by the way, like we said before, remember Jason, Jason Bassler, of the former, former of the, formerly of the Free Thought Project, now working for T-Lab. He's going to be the one posting these. That's why it says Ryan Reviews just on the T-Lab account, so you know that he's the one posting those, talking about the Vox article we covered, as well as the ones after that, by the way, which was United Nations, Amnesty International. The point was, straight out of a corporate media article, highlighting the history that was easily proven about what goes on to children, civilians in occupied Palestine, and the imprisonment and how they're treated. Here's the art. Here's the show from the 24th. Make sure. Oh, I actually already have that in the show notes. That's right. So this says the double standards of Israel's use of administrative detention, which means they're arrested without charge for things as simple as saying the wrong thing in public or throwing stones. Now I'm going to get into the actual breath, the real picture of who these people are that are being, or that are in the possibility of being released. The, the 300 or so that were on the table of only 150 are going to be released or so we're told. I doubt that ends up being seen to fruition. I don't know why, but I just have my doubts. But of course, the, the the usual suspects are screaming, they're all terrorists. Every one of them are terrorists while focusing on the ones they can give you examples of where there was violence in the interaction without any of the context about the reality of the ongoing occupation or what they did to their family or what they were taking. The bottom line is that this is about framing this in an insidious way to make it seem like they're, as you're going to see on Twitter, Exchanging a bunch of infants for a bunch of terrorists, even though the vast majority that they're getting back are infants and the, and the vast majority that are being returned are not even remotely on the level of terrorism, if even criminals. But of course, that's what you get in a propaganda lie. But let's play the starting of this so you can hear this first part of it. And this is in, this is regarding the the reality of the detentions and the treatment to Palestinians in general. November 22nd, why Israel imprisons so many Palestinians? So understand this, as we're getting into this dynamic where only one side are terrorists and only one side are innocent, you need to understand the reality, which I believe most people are beginning to see. On October 12th, it says, in the West Bank, the village of Wadi al-Sikh, Israeli soldiers and settlers detained three Palestinians and spent hours abusing them. 
The Israeli newspaper Haaretz reported that the Israelis stripped the detainees down to their underwear, blindfolded them, photographed them, beat them with knives and an iron pipe, put out cigarettes on their bodies, and even urinated on them. One of the detainees described the experience as Abu Ghraib with the Israeli military. All right, And realize, these are the settlers that Israel has given official capacity since October 7th, or somewhere after October 7th. The Israeli military said that it's investigating the incident, hardly, but that a horrifying account did not occur in a vacuum. Since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, which now we know there's all sorts of examples that they knew it was coming, they didn't care to stop it, and that they killed their own people after that, Hannibal Directive. Palestinians in the West Bank have been victimized since October 7th and before by a surge in violence perpetrated by both Israeli soldiers and settlers. One of the major sources of that escalation is a tool of repression that Israel has long deployed against Palestinians and has used even more aggressively in recent weeks. It's called administrative detention, a practice that allows Israel to jail Palestinians indefinitely without charge or trial, which, by the way, is a huge portion of what we're dealing with. So all the people screaming like Ben Shapiro and the rest, that they're all terrorists, are disgusting people who frankly know this and don't care. And while Israel argues that this is a lawful preventative security measure, allowing it to target people for a range of just political activity, including speech, nonviolent protesting, human rights groups have deemed Israel's use of administered detention a blatant violation of international law, like so much else it does and nobody seems to care. Even beyond administrative detention, when charges are brought against Palestinians in the West Bank, not Gaza, the West Bank, they are almost always tried in military courts that have a near-perfect conviction rate. Robert's written about this too. Why is it military? Because they know they're still on an ongoing occupation. That's why. And they'll admit it when it suits their interests. By contrast, it says Israelis are usually tried in civil court, even if it's involving Palestinians and attacks therein. Palestinians, in other words, are sent to a trapdoor instead of a fair trial. Please listen to the full clip or watch the full show. You're gonna, we're going to get a lot more of these coming out. Jason's going to be breaking down different segments and different focuses and different articles. He's doing great work here. But it's just this article, it's just it's so obvious and it's a new article. I'm not saying we should, you know, I, I shouldn't even need to say this. You guys know well, but for somebody new that we should suddenly trust Vox. <laughs> Never think that. Question everything all the time should be a static reality. The point, though, is that even corporate media is highlighting these obvious realities. It's very important. Now, Sonny uh, uh, Singh points out, reminder, Palestinian children are tried by military courts in a language that many do not speak. Most do not know what they are accused of, rarely have legal counsel or even a non-hostile adult beside them. And they are tried by a hostile occupying power which has no legal authority. And Diana Butu points out, of the list of 300 Palestinians to be released, only 150 will be, there are 270 ch children under the age of 18. 230 have never even been convinced, uh, convicted for, and, and really, I, this, I argue, is not charged. The same point, really. Right? I mean, you, you, could put, you could put a charge and just let them linger in, linger in there, but the point is that most, they... Most of these administrative detention levels are not even with a charge. They're just holding them in pending situations. Four of these, these kids are under the age of 14. Sam Husseini points out, 
and I'm going to read this directly from his article. Jeremy Scahill from the uh, from the Intercept kind of sums up this article right here quickly. But he says many of the Palestinians held without charge by Israel are themselves effectively hostages. And this is what I've been saying. This dumb game we play where it's like Palestinian hostages versus Israeli prisoners. It's it's we should just be consistent with this. They're all playing the same game. And you can't pretend that what Hamas did is any different than what Israel continues to do and has always done. Hamas attacked any has Hamas attack has forced many to see some of how insidiously Israel has treated tens of thousands for decades. Wholeheartedly agree. Now, this is from today. Israel's insidious narrative about Palestinian prisoners. It says the narrative surrounding the Palestinian prisoners being released during this temporary ceasefire is both insidious and dishonest. Interior Minister Itmar Ben-Gavir, he's one of the most extreme people in this cabinet, have banned Palestinians from celebrating their release. We'll get into that. Quote, my instructions are clear, he said. There are to be no expressions of joy. That's an actual quote. Do you realize how deranged these people are? Do you think that you can do that? No expressions of joy to the families receiving their children back? Realize these, some of these children are 18 because they were arrested five years ago. Right. The point is that there are a lot of these people are children. Like the one, like so, the one that says is under fourteen. The point is some of these are held for years. So if we are seeing released now and they look like they're teenagers, they were younger when they were taken. No expressions of joy. He says, "Quote: Expressions of joy are equivalent to backing terrorism. Victory celebrations give backing to those human scum for those Nazis. Now remember this as we get into the real people we're talking about here." Kids that said the wrong thing in front of an IDF member and spent five years in prison for no charge. This is not a joke. Easily proven. A child that throws a stone at an occupying force ends up in prison with no charge for years. To them, these are human scum. Are we talking about Hamas here? No, they're talking about Palestinians. He told Israeli police to deploy an iron fist to enforce this, enforce this edict. Right. So remember, the first day this came out, we weren't sure if this was, in fact, the reality, but it turned out to be exactly the case. The Netanyahu government and its supporters have promoted a narrow. Oh, don't forget, by the way, I forgot that even Channel 12 tried to lie about that. Right. Because we had the reports coming out early and Channel 12's article said they were going to allow these news press conferences like before. Clearly not. So typical Israeli media towing the line. The Netanyahu government and its supporters have promoted a narrative that these prisoners are all hardened terrorists who committed violent crimes. <clears throat> this assertion relies on a farcical Alice in Wonderland inspired logic of convince, convicting them by fiat in public before any trial, even the sham trials to which Palestinians are routinely subjected. Israel released a list of the names with alleged crimes they committed and who is making these allegations a military that acts as a brutal occupation force against Palestinians in the West Bank. The vast majority of the 300 Palestinian prisoners proposed for release by Israel are teenage boys. According to the list, 124 are under the age of 18, including a 15-year-old girl. Many of them, of the 146 who are 18 years old, turn so in Israeli prisons. According to the definitions laid out by the United Nations Convention on the Rights of a Child, you know, what the Europe just pretended like they were so proud of, and so did the United States, as they actively support what this is and always have. These Palestinians were children when they were arrested by Israel. The point is, they always write the United Nations Convention on the Rights of a Child. They all act like they're on the same page. They just have a loophole for why they do it. Oh, but they're not children because they broke the law. Whatever. 
sort of like saying, no, we can bomb the hospital because Hamas and human shields. No, that's wrong. Even if you, even, even though we've proven you're lying about that, even if it were true, all of the United Nations rapporteurs on, on, on human rights or everybody who has standing in this, the realm of international law has stood up and said that's fundamentally false. So the point is, regardless of their narrative, they're arresting children. With, most of the times without, the inform, without informing the parents and almost always without even charging them and keeping them indefinitely or until they decide like this to use them in a different way. Of the 300 names Israel proposed for potential release, 233 of them have not been convicted of a crime. They are categorized simply as under arrest. Now, that's my point. Not being convicted of a crime, not charged with a crime, just under arrest. Just, this, this, is, this is political prisoners or are. You're punishing them. And again, that's what Amnesty International re- argued. This is about punishment. You are trying to use this coercively against them to suppress their rights, their speech, their beliefs. That comes from an international human rights organization. It says police and prosecutors all over the world make allegations later proven false during a fair trial. The Israeli narrative promotes the fiction that these Palestinians are in the middle of some sort of failed, fair judicial proceeding in which they will eventually be tried in a fair and impartial process. This is a complete verifiable farce. Palestinians, and by the way, there's links through all of this. Palestinians are not prosecuted in civil courts. They're tried in military courts. Even though in reverse, no matter what the circumstances, the Israelis are tried in, you know, and, and that's the circumstances are that they're going after those people. But in, in, in any kind of a situation where an Israeli is involved, it, it is, they're, they're uh, I'm blanking on the word, civil, not civil courts, but not military courts. And this is, again, per Amnesty International, the one-sided way that the, the, they apply this to Palestinians and then people in the same situation that are Israeli get different treatment. That's apartheid. That's what that is. Palestinians are not prosecuted in civil courts, military courts. They often are denied access to lawyers and to purported evidence against them and are regularly held in isolation for extreme periods. Years, guys. One of the ones released had been in isolation for years. That You know what that does to you mentally? And it says subjected to other forms of abuse. Don't forget, even Amnesty and other groups have proven torture to this very day goes on in Israeli prisons. Torture. Israel is the only developed country in the world, that's in quotes, that routinely tries children in military courts. And its system has been repeatedly criticized and denounced by major international human rights organizations and institutions. But that doesn't matter, apparently, if it's about Israel, because they're all racist. But when they say things you like, you support them. So you support racists? Oh, too bad. Don't look at it. Say, don't, you know, contradictions everywhere. Don't look at it in that light. Only in this light. If, as Israel alleges, these people have committed violent crimes, particularly against civilians, then Israel should give them full rights to due process. Right? Democracy. To see the alleged evidence against the alleged evidence against them, and they should be tried in civ- civilian courts with a, the same rights afforded Israeli defendants. That would also mean allowing Palestinians <clears throat> who do commit acts of political violence, particularly against the military forces of a violent occupation, to you know raise the context and legality of the Israeli occupation as part of their defense. But see, they'll never allow that. The point being. It's an occupation, therefore your political act is armed rebellion. 
You see, but they can't allow that because that then means that they're a legal occupation. Israel's asking the world to believe that these 300 people are all dangerous terrorists. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yet has built a kangaroo military court system for Palestinians that magically churns out a nearly 100% conviction rate. All of them from a country that constantly promotes itself as the only democracy in the Middle East, which is hardly the reality. Palestinians on this list are from the occupied West Bank and have lived their entire lives under an apartheid regime. Palestinians taken by Israel, including some on the list of prisoners proposed for release, have certainly committed violent acts. But to pretend that the context of this violence is irrelevant is as, as absurd as it is unjust, given the appalling conditions Palestinians have lived under for decades. It matters. That's not to say that you justify or condone their acts of violence. It's up for you to decide. But we have to understand that, yes, an occupation means things are quite different. At the very least, has to be understood. Con contrast this to the widespread impunity that governs the actions of violent Israeli settlers who mercilessly target Palestinians in an effort to expel them from their homes. They don't care about that. And this is my point, though. The people like the Ben Shapiro's of the world, the Eli Davids, they know this. They don't care. They do not think these people matter. So to them, it's okay. They can be treated that way because they're all evil terrorists. When pushed to it, that's what they're saying. All nations should be judged, the article continues, by how they treat the least powerful, not the most powerful, or only those from a certain religion or ethnicity. This is why many leading civil liberties lawyers in the U.S. oppose the use of Guantanamo Bay prison and military tribunals and, con and continue to oppose U.S. laws or rules that deny the accused a fundamental right to proper defense. And we'll include just a couple of them. You guys can see these. Just, you know, Amnesty International, very clearly, Israel's apartheid against Palestinians. For those that may not understand how obvious this has always been from, what, 2022. And then I'll include this as well, where Netanyahu, on the record, makes sure you understand. As it says, Netanyahu responds to a TV star who said Arabs are equal citizens. Right? Isn't that what we're being told right now by the corporate stage? The TV star said, no, e Arabs are equal. Ben Shapiro, the rest, they go, no, they have representation and they have lawyers. Guess what? Guess what Netanyahu said in response to that? No, he said, Israel's the nation state of the Jews alone. That's a direct quote from Haaretz. All of this is public and obvious. So when they stand up and they tell you that you're being lied to, that Arabs are equal and on the, in the government and have the same things. Now, there are examples and people that are clearly arguably, you know, let's put it this way. There are obvious examples where you can see people like, for instance, who are involved in the government. But if you understand the full context, which they know but don't inform you of because they're liars, you understand that they are actively treated different, that they do not have the same voting power. Like it's obviously manipulated. And my bottom line is, if you could hear him state this, when stated that they're equal, he says, no, it's only for the state, for the Jews alone. You have to understand the reality. But this is why it's so, this is why Dave Smith can run circles around Laura Loomer on a so-called debate, because all they do is engage with narrative when there's blatant, real-world, obvious examples from every angle showing you that they're lying. Now, lastly, this is an article from Haaretz as well, from 2019. Endless Trip to Hell, it's entitled, Israel Jails Hundreds of Palestinian Boys a Year. These are their testimonies. 
Now, you want to have some nightmares? Read this. I'll go. Pro- I'll probably go into it another show. They're seized in the dead of night, blindfolded and cuffed, abused and manipulated to confess to crimes they didn't commit. Every year, Israel arrests almost a thousand Palestinian youngsters. Some of them not even thirteen. This is a very famous image because you know you need you need forty seven different IDF members to arrest one child that's blindfolded, who clearly got beat up, as you can tell. It's just grotesque. Everybody knows this. It's an open secret. The only people that seem to be pushing this are the Zionist sycophants. Everyone's seeing through it right now. So, and don't forget, they arrested over 100 children just before, under 18, I should say. Most of them were pretty young. Before they did this exchange. They rounded up a bunch of more people. I mean, what? it's just, it's gross what's happening. So now let's get into the actual conversation of these people. Now that you know very clearly that they don't just arrest only, they just arrest children for political reasons. Here, first of all, is the video of the Israeli detainees being released. And guess what? You won't be surprised. It's exactly what we've seen every other time. Now, I'm not going to say that they aren't influencing them or telling them, but my point is the same thing we saw in every other example. From Lifshitz, from the first four that came out, every one of them has left and said they were treated kindly. And they still say that. You you realize there's a reason they haven't followed up with those people, because they're still saying that. To the frustration of every one of these pundits that are screaming that, that we're being lied to. Because they're telling you they're being forced to say it. You can tell Hamas is making them do it. Well, then why are they still saying it? That's how obvious all of this is. Now, here's a video of people that don't seem like they've been mistreated. They seem well-fed. They seem like they're not beat up. And they're even smiling and waving. Now, of course, you could argue they're being manipulated. But the point is obvious. All of them are now telling you that they were treated well, even the ones that have just come out. And that's why they were desperate to say, no media. Don't talk to the media. You're not allowed to do any of that, even with their people. Right now, goodbye. 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 The doctor waiting also there, so okay. I mean, look at look at this. I'm not going to say that you know what's in her head, but look at the way this girl responds to him. It's very obvious that there's almost there's almost. I mean, you could, you could call it uh, what's it called? Um, not Nightingale. That's that's a doctor and a patient. You know the, what's the? I forget the term all of a sudden for when a. Somebody who is captured ends up kind of being endeared to their captor. Remind me in the chat what that's called. My point is that 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 can happen, even with bad people, understand. But realize that that you just look at her face and the way she responds to this guy. There seems to be some level of compassion there. Look at that. It just doesn't make any sense unless we're being told a lie. Now, look, it it would make, you know, it's kind of the narrative I make about the, the point I make about Russia. I've never argued that I think Russia's government or Putin in particular are just these glowing examples of good people. I think that's really naive and ridiculous personally. My overall Stockholm syndrome. Thank you guys. My, but overall, it, it, my point is that Putin has maintained for, for a long time now, both showing, showing restraint in ways that the U.S. government has, seems incapable of today, but also acting in a way that demonstrates that they're at least acting in, in interest of what we what we would think is the right thing. You know, stopping the occupier, defending the people that are trying. But that doesn't mean that there are the good guy doing the right thing. My point I'm just getting to is that it very well could just be that they understand 
that the world sees what's going on and that for them to play the counterbalance to the obviously belligerent U.S. foreign policy is a very useful thing for them. Or it could just mean that they're doing good things. It's up for you to decide. I don't think that. I think all these governments are actively, like any government left with the power the U.S. government has, I argue would eventually act the same way. Call me jaded, but I think that. My point, though, is that in this case, you could argue that Hamas is simply playing the role that they know will benefit them. But does it really make a difference at this point? The point is about what we can prove and what we can see happening and what that challenge is. And right now, the U.S., the um, Israel narrative are, is getting destroyed with every single person that comes out that is well-fed, that seems kind, that's shaking their hands, that is then going on to say they treated me kindly. Every one of them. And what do we see on the other side? Horrifying images of people that have been tortured, things that people, I mean, it's an and ongoing genocide that they claim they per, continue to tell you will not stop. Very interesting to me. Okay. By the way, she's smiling to the person in the ambulance, not the Hamas just left. Wake up. Welcome. Welcome. Come on. Come on. Now, just to be clear, by the way, these are all civilians, especially the workers. All those are crimes in every possible way, no matter how kind of overshadowed it seems now because they're committing genocide. These are still crimes and they need to be held accountable for them. Make sure you understand that. You're not allowed to take civilians. That has to matter. Just, you know, that people are trying to play this game where people are, I mean, just because it's obvious the biggest crime taking place doesn't mean we should ignore the other side of this. And don't forget, that's the Red Cross, right? The same Red Cross that Israel accused of bringing Hamas around in. The same Red Cross that they bombed. Doesn't that just insult you? Like that Israel, when they need to, could just be like, you're a terrorist and you're working with them or you won't do what we want. And then suddenly you're working with them because you need to. Ridiculous. So, very different than what we're seeing or what we're being told, right? Now, here's another one. This is coming from uh, a sister of the one of the Thai uh, detainees that were released. And she's simply saying, it was beyond my expectation. Thought he was, I thought he was among the 16 shot dead. Our family was very sad. But when he, when he sent the bodies back, he wasn't there. I was very happy because I hope he was. Di- uh, says he's a hostage. He might be tortured or killed in that tunnel. She was worried about. But suddenly there was hope. His face was very happy and he seemed okay. He said that there was not tortured, not assaulted. It had been he had been fed good food. He was taken care of very well. He looks like he just stayed in a house, not a tunnel. Yeah, probably because that's what happened. I mean, it's, it seems really interesting how much of this is coming out and challenging their narrative. Now, here's another interesting one. This makes me sick, quite frankly, because I believe this is happening right now. I believe my opinion is that they have been actively trying or at least not worrying about the hostages from the very beginning. 
They've been bombing the area that they know that they're in. And I just like I think they tried to kill them before they could be used against them in the Kibbutzba area, I believe they've been bombing because they do not want these people to come home because they know things that they do not want to be stated. And I mean that from like a high-level intelligence mindset, like from the highest levels of their government. How else do you understand? How else do you pretend that bombing that much in the area they're supposed to be held means that they're trying to keep them safe? Propaganda and Company points out Israel initially claimed that they found the body of Emily Hand, but now apparently she just got returned to her family. How do you make sense of that? This is from Seven News. Israeli father Thomas Hand says his daughter's death in in Kabuspa area was a blessing. It says the body of Thomas Hand's eight-year-old daughter was recovered earlier this week. So this is Israel's government telling him that. Think about the torture this man has gone through. Think it now compare this to the Shoni Look story. Isn't that the same thing? Israel's claiming that? Because I think the argument was that they never thought any of these people would come home. And they wanted to use this to push a narrative. And this was a burned up body, maybe? I mean, who knows what happened here? What body was it? How did they confirm it? Why did they claim they knew? Here is from Times of Israel. Emily Hand, eight, Irish-Israeli, thought killed on October 7th, now believed held hostage in Gaza. That was an hour ago, right? So, or it, when, this, when the news got broken, it was, you know, recently. The point was she just came home, as I understand it. I just, it, that seems pretty disgusting. And especially when you stand back and look at all the lies we've been spun, I don't think they care about these people at all. And we have the example, again, this is the, the second time at the very least I've seen this happen. So we showed you before the first day. Now, again, Israeli troops fired heavy tear gas grenades at families and friends waiting for the Palestinians to come home. This is just routine now, apparently. We don't like that we're doing this, so we're going to punish you the whole time. That's like a that's like a childish action. Right? You just you just want to poke the you can't stand that you're not getting the best of it, so you're gonna punish them the whole time. Like these are childish people. Families, why? Because they're all bad to them. And they're lying about what they're saying because they know people see through what they're doing. This is the BBC for Israel, it appears. A released Palestinian prisoner says in Arabic that Israel held them in the cold with elect- without electricity, sprayed us with pepper spray, and left us to die. This is a common thing you're going to hear right now. Everyone coming out of there is telling you, by the way, exactly what Amnesty has been reporting. Actually, let me see if I can even bring that up. I didn't grab that earlier. There it is. Just so we, I'm glad I found this so we could confirm this. This is from November 8th, guys. Horrifying cases of torture and, and degrading treatment of Palestinian detainees amid the spike in arbitrary arrest. This is now. This is IMSC reporting this about what Israel's doing to them in since October 7th, torturing them. And we can't be honest about this. So here's the point. So she comes out and tells you what we already know is happening. Guess what they did? They lied and they they put the wrong subtitles. Only Hamas cared. Those who felt our suffering, I thank them very much, she says. We love them very much. Trying to make it sound like we love Hamas and we love Hamas. They're just trying to push a narrative. And they lied and hid the part where she said they left them to die. Here's the different breakdowns. The Israeli occupation forces came at 10 a.m. telling us that there would be a deal when they would imprison us. They've been present for a month. Erroneous translation. We're suffering from difficult circumstances. 
They're firing, throwing tear, gra tear gas at us. A tear gas was fired at us, right? Omitting that they know that it was Israel doing so. It says, we female prisoners are living under constant humiliation. We keep veiled 24-7. Nobody knows anyone. It says, we were wearing head covers all the time. That's how BBC lies. This is a matter of, this is what they do as a matter of policy. Prisoners, prisoners with mental health are being treated mercilessly in the same way as healthy prisoners. Oh, and, and this is in regard to, it goes both ways. We're talking about people being held, released from one side and people being released from the other, right? Just, I'm, I'm confusing it going, trying to go fast. The point is that we have examples of them saying that we were treated kindly, being called, being saying they were, they were terrible. And then we have examples of them calling out Israel and them saying it was okay. Now, actually, just make just make it quick and simple. I've got the, the one of the clips right here. This is from Mohammed Shihada pointing out BBC fabricated a quote from a released Palestinian detainee. BBC wrote, only Hamas cared. We love them so much. What she actually said was Israel left us to die in the cold and the winter came. They sprayed us with pepper spray. Oh, actually, I, I think I just had it here because. Yeah, it's, it's subtitled, so you can just see it. You heard that one. The bottom line is, guys, they don't want you seeing what's really going on. I think that's very obvious. But we don't need more. We already know this. And I think the world is finally starting to pay attention to how grotesque it is, what they've been doing to people this entire time. Here, a free child from the Negev Desert Israeli jail told Al Jazeera, that the Israelis killed Thayer Abu Abbas under torture after he asked them if there was a ceasefire in Gaza. Quote, they sent a doctor after an hour and a half when he was already dead. That was also backed up by another detainee that said, this is one of the liberated detainees saying that the same person was killed after the Israeli, uh, the Israeli prison's authorities because he asked one of them if there was a truce. Same point, same, you know, different framing. They beat him and left him without medical assistance all night, though he asked for help and he died. I mean, if Americans only knew, reporting about this kid here, in 2022, Israeli police burst into a 16-year-old Palestinian family home, broke the teen's nose and one of his teeth when he refused to undress in their presence, then dragged him away, bound and blindfolded, as they always do. The boy, Sadi Kuri, was held and beaten for 41 days in Israeli prison over alleged throwing stones. Right, what, what Ben Shapiro would call a terrorist. Gideon Levy and Alex Levak reported, and Israeli journalists, on the case of Israelis, and, and in the, in the uh, Haaretz newspaper, they said they would call him the, the Christian to insult him. You know, all you Zionist Christians out there, listen up. They would repeatedly beat and humiliate him in jail in the course of his abduction at the break of dawn from his East Jerusalem home. The black-clad Israeli police officers beat him until he bled. Quote, when we first arrived at his home, the day after his arrest, the floor of the attractively appointed house was still blood-stained, and his mother who had seen his son, her son pummeled in front of her eyes, was sobbing and broken. When, when Shadi was finally released, he had to stay under house arrest, causing his family to miss their annual Christmas visit to his grandmother in Bethlehem, you know, in, in, in attending Christmas Mass. This was a Palestinian experience long before October 7th. People need to understand the reality. Now, to get into some of the examples, there's... Mr. Eli David, Zionist propagandist, talking about the Israeli, the, and by the way, I think deliberately spelled her name wrong so you couldn't research her yourself. 
Israel released Asra, I think it's Jabez, in return for a child hostage. Palestinian accounts are sharing this photo. As you can see, well, in the podcast, she's, uh, what's the word? Maimed and, and disfigured. And, and you, so you can see the before picture. It says they conveniently don't mention that she'd been burned, he says. In, in 2015, when he says the car bomb, which is not even what anybody's actually saying, by the way, that she tried to detonate, I guess, burned instead of exploding. Does that even make sense? So it's a car bomb, he says, that didn't explode, but burned? So explain how the fire would burn. So if it didn't explode, how did it hurt her if it just burned somewhere in her car? Like, this guy's a moron. Like, clearly, at the cost of his reputation, pushing whatever he's told to. But the reality is quite different. Even online right now, people that are much more intelligent than him, apparently, are saying that she had a gas canister that she was going to use for a bomb. Something like that. Okay. Vanessa Bealey's covered this. He's lying. But like usual. Joseph pointed out the reality. She was moving to a new home, which, by the way, this has been covered all over the place. Right now, it's being overwhelmed by all the people stating exactly what Israeli propaganda says to. She was moving to a new home and was transporting, among other things, a gas cylinder to her new home because that is what they use for everything. This is the point. This is how this is not in Israel proper, where you can turn up, everything's working and everything, fresh water, electricity. Nope. Very different. Say like we're seeing in real time right now, right? So that's so people that don't understand that in different countries, this is what they need to actively run most things in their home. It exploded. Why? Because they opened fire on her car. And then she nearly burned alive inside the car because they shot at her car. The IDF then claimed that she did this while in the car. But then we would never, but she, she says, excuse me, it says, but then we would never know how, because she was only tried in a military court, not a civilian court. And her defense was dismissed, something that no Israeli citizen would tolerate. This is true for nearly all of these prisoners. Just the interrogation process alone in any legitimate court would get virtually all of their cases dismissed. And he goes, here's an example of what an IDF interrogation process alone is like, and by itself would get most cases thrown out and accused of and set free. This is a child we're going to show you next. But just make sure you understand, this is a woman who, because she was a Palestinian, was open fire on because she was driving her car. They did this to her, then pretended she did it and blamed her for what they did to her. This is the reality of the situation. And this is what she now looks like. Understand that they have, her, many people of her family have been detained. She was released. Finally able to go back to her home. And this is what they're saying about her. Before we go into that, let's show you the, this is what, he was showing you an interrogation. This is posted by Tarek Badur. I was unaware of who Ahmed Masara was until people started asking if he had been released. This is posted on November 22nd, 2023, in regard to being released today. Upon researching, I found that he was imprisoned at, in Israel at the age of 13 on charges of, quote, intending to carry out a stabbing attack on Jews. Not doing so, intending to. He received a 12-year prison sentence. He is currently 21 years old. He's been in solitary confinement since 2021. The Israeli authorities filmed and released his interrogation as a lesson to all children to just, I guess, not... <laughs> I don't even know how to frame that. 
not be a Palestinian, apparently. Here's what this looks like. A child without his parents. Imagine that's your son. He's been arrested without committing a crime, without being charged with a crime. Forcing him to admit something he didn't do. This goes on for a lot longer. He's crying. They're screaming at him. No parents involved. Democracy, though, right? In this only democracy in the Middle East, you get to basically coerce a child into admitting what you want them to be guilty for, lock them up until they're 21. Sure sounds like democracy, doesn't it? (laughs) People are so funny. Obviously, I was saying not to be something and then stopped and then went on to say not to be Palestinian. To connect those two things would be pretty dumb of you. But here, here is what it goes on to say. Or rather, the reality being that this is what is being done to these people. Torture. As every international entity that has any standing is making sure you understand. But Israel and the U.S. government just want you to think otherwise. And people like Eli David are just dumb enough to go along with it or don't care. Now, here is just a video of her coming back to her family. After all this time, the very first moments of a freed prisoner is Rajabas meeting her family members in occupied Al-Quds and embracing her son. Here, Palestinian woman. Oh, I wanted to read you what she said here. This is important, actually. Thanking God, saying you saved us from the prison. Going on to say, we are ashamed to rejoice while Palestine is wounded. I don't need to describe them, she says. In addition to the emotional wounds, basically saying her physical wounds are obvious, but her emotional wounds aren't. And the longing to the family, the price that the prisoner pay is the imprisonment. The price of love is longing. She said, I left little girls in my cell crying. So that's what I want you to understand. They're really desperate to make you think it's all terrorists and that one side has all these children and infants and babies, which is not even the reality. There's very few that we can even, according to their statements. But then only one side of this is all adults and terrorists and bad guys. She left little girls crying in her cell. Little girls. Now, guys, this is not up for debate. It's not just because you're saying that. It's an obvious reality. There's all sorts of young people being held without charge right now per their own information. Because she left little girls crying in the cells because of everything they went through in prison. Little girls. So she's like, I'm not even talking about the adult women. I'm talking about little girls. They went through indescribable atrocities. Was the treatment worse during the last aggression, they ask? Yes, very. 
she says. How can you tell? Just since the start of the aggression, since the first day, they took Mara Bakir to solitary confinement. That's one of the ones that I I feel at least is possibly or already released. I'm not. I don't want to say misinform. But this is since this started. So why would they suddenly do things differently in the prison? Torture, right? Vitriol. That's all it is. Does putting her in a solitary cell make any difference to what's going on outside? It says, and they keep talking, taking female prisoners to solitary confinement. God only knows what they're doing to them. Well, I mean, according to Amnesty International and, and pretty much every other human rights group, what they're doing is torture and rape. That's what they're doing. That's, that's not up for debate. How, who knows if it's every time, but that's happening. It says, during the same day, the first day, The, Iowa, the, the occupation forces sprayed gas in the prison's rooms. Gas. What was it? Talking about the experimentation point. They sprayed gas in the room next to mine. That day, I suffered from severe pneumonia. I, I, I only started feeling better a week ago. What the hell happened there? They spray a gas in there and she gets sick for a week? Are they experimenting on these people? Is this some weird COVID-19 experimentation overlap? That that kind of freaked me out right there. I mean, we're who only know, just think about how this could overlap. All of a sudden, you send these people back with some kind of infection? I mean, this is biowarfare. If that's what we're talking about, that's terrifying. And now think about this. You send them back over there, whether West Bank or any situation, and you argue that it's because of what's going on in Gaza, right? That the illness that they've created because of what they're doing is somehow now their fault. And it's now it's getting outside of the area. So we have to, we have to shut it down faster. Now, just, let's just take it off the top of my head here. But why do we think it's okay that they would gas people inside of these chambers? Not, I mean, not even getting into the obvious point that people would make. That's just terrifying to me. Now, another point, it just says Israel occupation forces are now, and this is after they've been released, are beating all members of her family, forcing them out of their home and keeping her parents inside. I have videos of some of this. They do not want the world to rejoice. Let's not forget, he told you, you're not allowed to celebrate. It's against the law. They do not want happiness for her family. Can you imagine the extent of their brutality? Quote, we are ashamed to rejoice while Palestinians are still wounded. I think that was, yeah, it's right there. We'll get to it. So here's one of the videos. This is when it first starts, at least outside. So that's already been going on with the family. That's why everybody's here. All these, all these officers and IDF, right? Because one woman gets returned to her family. This is the life they live. It's not new after October 7th. Occupation forces storm her home, forcibly expelling family members and forcing the press to leave. Katrin! Katrin! 
Israeli media, and they're they're literally manhandling them and forcing them off the set. Why? What, what are they so afraid of you speaking? Go to your left. من منزل all the democracy you can all this democracy you can stomach right and this one was just another video of the same thing they're trying to report <clears throat> you can see them this, this is like technically right before the one I just showed you and they're they're pushing out the family. It's just crazy. What right do they think they have to do that? It's only because they're an occupying force. Why is this even necessary? Because, well, they want you to, they, they're all terrorists, they want you to think. And of course, the people saying that, that makes sense, right? Doesn't though, because they're not. Now, Hussein Hassan points out, Israeli forces are forcibly storming the residence of these families, we told you, seizing celebratory items, taking the sweets and the cakes and whatever else they have, right? Because you're not allowed to celebrate. Because these people are sociopaths. Vanessa points out, ahead of the slated Palestinian prisoner release, Ben Gavir told people to shut down the celebrations, as we already told you. And just in case you want to see it, it's literally directly from his, this is from Times of Israel. Ahead of the Palestinian release, Ben Gavir tells police to shut down celebrations. We already told you this. He literally argues, my instructions are clear. There are to be no expressions of joy. No expressions of joy. What a maniac. How in the world does any honest person in the world act like this makes sense? Like, think about it like this. Let's just pretend these are terrorists. They're not, but let's just pretend that's the case. Are you now arguing their families, whether or not they're terrorists, are not allowed to be like, thank God you're home? That is villainy, guys. That is disgusting. There's, these are the worst of the worst. The people that would do that, whether American or Israeli or anything, the kind of people that would act like they have some kind of agency over your right to express emotion. That is authoritarianism. That's worse. I don't even know what word you would create to argue somebody can control the way you think and feel. That's the technocratic future we're goose-stepping into right now. Now, on top of that, we know that Facebook and the rest of them, Facebook and Twitter, not Meta and X, Facebook and Twitter, they're trying to stop you from doing and saying and expressing what they don't want people to see. Propaganda and Co. made this very clear. Facebook is working with the Israeli government to prevent the spread of hostage videos or the release videos. And I'm seeing this everywhere. They're using image recognition, he argues, to quickly determine that it's hostage video and delete the post. Users all over Instagram are reporting their posts have been randomly deleted. Instagram's previously deleted 8,000 posts on Israel's behalf. Facebook is working directly with the Israelis to preserve the false narrative that Hamas has been torturing hostages. I mean, you, I, I, this is just an image, but trust me, I, you, I've reached out to many people. It's apparently just all over. Everyone's pointing it out on Instagram and Facebook, posting a video of them shaking their hand and saying thank you and just getting, they're just instantly deleted. Why? I think you know why. I think this is a desperate effort to try to continue the narrative as they watch you see through it. And you know what else they're doing? Exactly what I told you. Going, hey, Eli, get out there and lie for us. So many accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok are getting suspended for posting pro-Israel messages. Wait a minute. Is that what's happening? Or is he just going the opposite? <laughs> Narrative propaganda. 
Right. So we can prove that they're quickly deleting these videos. And it's all TikTok might be the one anomaly here that seems to be just organically very, very pro-Palestine. But interesting how you can prove the opposite on Facebook and Instagram. But here he is going, they're censoring us all. And he goes, X is the only platform where pro-Israeli voices are being heard without censorship. Thank you, Elon. Well, Elon clearly does lean in the very obvious direction of supporting apartheid, despite being from South Africa, it seems anyway. But this is really stupid. As everyone seems to point out, True says, when you're literally lying to try to gain some kind of sympathy. Credo reports, as well as many other people, Meta is currently taking open public steps to censor Palestinian resistance. You have colleges shutting down Palestinian pro-groups at all. These platforms are literally censoring things like from the river to the sea. And yet we're, I mean, this is pathetically obvious. It's embarrassingly obvious. Here's somebody saying the same thing. Are we an opposite world? It's literally the exact opposite. Zuckerberg is banning Palestinian stuff. This is desperation. It's a bad look on you, David. It looks bad. You're desperate. And everyone sees through your comments are overflowing with everybody laughing at how obvious you're what you're doing. And you know why? Because everyone in the world is calling this out. Here's reporters without borders. Israeli politicians call for journalists in Gaza to be killed. You don't see him reporting that. What he does is he gets marched out and goes, they're not journalists in Gaza. They're all terrorists. Here's why. That's, that's Ben Shapiro. That's Eli David. Think about that. Think about your job being to gaslight for people that are trying to stop genocide. How gross. Reporters Without Borders, Doctors Without Borders, United Nations, Oxfam, UNICEF, Amnesty, Human Rights, Brett Selim, every single one of them around the world are going genocide, murder, crimes. And all it can do is scream at you. Well, Decentered News points out a very alarming video. I'm only going to play the first part of it just because it's, it's, it's about five, four minutes. But this is in regard to the journalism aspect. All right? So they're telling you. They're, they're going to try to kill the journalists there. That's what they want. That's what they've already been doing. I've seen many examples of this. And I haven't been able to confirm these. This one's from Motaz Azar, Az, uh, Aziza, who's been a pretty prominent journalist in this process. But I've seen these random videos, people going, I was here and I got a, a no caller ID, random video art, you know, and apparently this is real. You have Israeli intelligence that are apparently surveil surveilling what's going on and then contacting these people and trying to scare them, manipulate them, or just simply tell them what they want. But here's an example. So this is, this is uh, Motaz at this beach. And then he later gets a call from somebody he doesn't know going, Hey, did you enjoy the beach? some peaceful moments it's been like two months I didn't, I didn't see the sea he's just out at the sea just going hey you know just time to take a break from it all now it cuts it cuts the video both these are posted separately I believe and they were put together and then he has this phone call he gets later. No caller ID. Hello. Hello. Hello, Motaz. How are you? I'm fine. So he doesn't know who this is. So, hello, Motaz. How are you? He knows who he is. Fine. Fine day to go to the beach. Fine day to go to the beach, he says. Pretty creepy, isn't it? Lovely. Yeah, yeah it was hello. lovely. Hmm? Yeah, who are you? I don't understand. Who are you? He's asking who he is. Uh, 
I'm nobody. But anyway, um, can you tell a story maybe condemning Hamas so this can all end? He says, can you maybe do a story condemning Hamas so this can all end? This is what we're dealing with. Nice day to go to the beach. This is a threat, is what that is. You watch the rest. He goes on to talk to him, and the guy tries to convince him to lie about what's going on so they can get what they want. Terrifying. Now, in general, we're at 224. So in general, I wanted to go through these last few points. This is Tariq Lubani. Eyewitness accounts surfacing from Gaza's hospitals are harrowing and disturbing. Why? Because right now people are able to access and get, other than the people that we're already trying to show you, right? There's been people who've been allowed to go in and see the tattered bodies laid along the streets in the safe zone, right? Or the reality of what actually took place in these hospitals, many of which you haven't even heard about. Not saying Hamas is there, just you don't even hear about it because they don't think you're, we're only talking about Al-Shifa. So they're just destroying hospital schools and mosques and everything else with no justification and no evidence at all about Hamas presence. Even the places they try to pretend are, are debunked and proven to be lies. An entire generation of doctors and healthcare workers, he says, has been targeted in this war on hospitals. A painful number of his close friends and colleagues were killed by Israeli strikes. Not just doctors, but leaders who chose to be in Gaza to build a top-notch healthcare system or tried to. But it goes on to tell you these stories. A dentist here. This one's an internal medicine expert basically trying to help people and was killed in a building of international conference of experts to share medical knowledge. This one went to check on his family between shifts at the Shifa hospital and he was basically killed in the process. ER doctor killed as well. All these people. It's horrifying. Now here are a couple of videos I want you to see. Max Blumenthal posts this. He says, Israel didn't even bother painting Gaza's Indonesian hospital as a covert Hamas base. It just bombed it into oblivion, tortured its staff, and left it strewn with rotting corpses. This report is one of the most gut-wrenching documents I've ever seen of Israel's state of terror. Main entrance to the Indonesian hospital. One of northern Gaza's largest healthcare facilities now in ruins. Overwhelmed with the number of wounded and facing a severe shortage of medical supplies, corridors have become wards and surgeons operate on the floor. After Israeli tanks and snipers laid siege to the hospital for days, troops raided it in the early hours of Friday morning before the ceasefire came into effect. We told them we are civilians, we have children and sick people, we are nurses, when they stormed the hospital through the main entrance. They interrogated me with three other nurses. They asked me if there is anyone from the resistance here. They asked me about the entrances and the exits of the hospital. We were all panicking and very scared. The hospital has been out of service for weeks. With the extent of the damage, it's not clear whether it will ever reopen. Right, and this is no difference than U.S. troops destroying everything in their path in their seeking weapons of mass destruction. Plenty of movies have been made about it, right? You know, the things that weren't there that they knew weren't there, right? But in the process, they did this. Digging through areas, destroying buildings, all of the guys that they're all bad guys because they're all secretly hiding weapons of mass destruction. Also an Israeli involvement in that lie too, right? This is how this is done, guys. And until we can get past the screamers, the two-party paradigm, or at least realize they're not the majority, they're going to keep doing this. 
They're going to keep destroying people and civilians and civilian locations because they want to, or for whatever reason, they're trying to, whatever objective. And just all they get to do is say, well, we were trying to do X, Y, and Z. Limited information. Or just lie to you and say they found him there. But you realize there's not even, as Max was pointing, there's not a narrative here. They're done already. Did they find anything? Well, clearly they didn't say anything. So at the very least, they didn't say, so bottom line is there's an obvious war crime. As Scott Ritter points out, you don't do this under the ups of the uh, possibility that there's people there. That's oh, If you do not know as a matter of fact, that's international law. They broke the law when they went into this hospital. But so, with the, so too with the rest of them. They know that. They just act with impunity. Witnesses recall the horror of Israeli soldiers' interrogation. The fourth floor of the hospital was targeted with a missile. They also cut off electricity and solar power. We had 25 people with broken pelvis who can't be removed. They detonated this entrance. They shot the patients inside the building. They searched us one by one and scanned everyone's faces. While interrogating me, I told them that I am a nurse. They took me to this corner and beat me and asked me so many questions about the hospital, the Israeli captives and hostages, if I know anything about them. Every question was accompanied by a slap. After that they left, we could have gone, but I promised Allah that I will never leave my patients here alone and that I will be the last one to leave this hospital. The Committee to Protect Journalists says at least 48 Palestinian journalists have been killed by Israeli fire. Anas al-Sharif is among the few risking their lives to tell the world what is happening in northern Gaza. The occupation forces have damaged and destroyed big parts of the hospital. There's been major destruction here in the hospital. Even equipment and supplies have been ruined by occupation forces. U.S. media report the Biden administration had been concerned by the ceasefire because it would allow journalists greater access to Gaza, which would, they say, expose the devastation and possibly turn public opinion against Israel. The stench of death forces people to cover their nose. Charred, decomposing bodies, children among them, are piled up in one corner. No burials have taken place because Israeli snipers targeted anyone who ventured out to dig a grave. Streets, schools, houses, shops. Israeli strikes have destroyed them all. After seven weeks in hiding, people are finally able to go outdoors. But with entire neighborhoods razed to the ground, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have no homes left. Sama bin Javed, Al-Dazera. Yeah, and it's all going to start again in a couple of days. And really hasn't actually stopped as they're bombing in West Bank and killing people right now. Horrifying. Now, Solomon Ahmed also points out, in case you, you know, act like the Al-Shifa story just ended, right? They lied about what's going on in, in egregiously clumsy fashion. Just like right in plain display, cutting videos, proving that they lied, showing a blast door from the inside that's completely different than one on the outside. Like just really dumb stuff bringing in boxes we know were full of things that they tried to hide the bbc caught them altering the locations pretending they found a tunnel under a truck that they found two days later and that tunnel being shown to be an elevator shaft that they didn't conflate it with something else even though they already found the command center on the 14th in a different location i mean just really bad stuff but guess what they did they absolutely destroyed the shifa hospital and this is how they left it عدد من المرضى لازالوا يتواجدون يتم تشغيل هذا المولد لاضاءه 
الحالات والإصابات قيل إلى خراب وللأسف رائحة الموت تفوح في كل مكان يوجد عدد من الأهالي هنا يتواجدون طبعا نحتفظ بخصوصية الأهالي الذين I mean, at this point, as many doctors have pointed out, this is just a place to die. It's unsanitary. There's no way to clean anything. Think about how horrifying this is for doctors, especially trying to help people. God, just, it's just so disgustingly obvious. <clears throat> now, to finish with the idea of in, in genocide, Corey Robin points out, Israel's assault is different. Experts say that even a conservative reading of the casualty figures reported from Gaza show that the pace of death during Israel's campaign has few precedents in this century. Conflict casualty experts have been taken aback at just how many people have been reported killed in Gaza, most of whom, most of them women and children, and how rapidly. It's not just the unrelenting scale of the strikes, it's also the nature of the weaponry itself. It's beyond anything that I've seen in my career, says Mark Gazlasko, a former senior intelligence analyst at the Pentagon. My God, the Pentagon is saying they've never seen killing like this. To find a historical comparison for so many large bombs in such a small area, he said, we may have to go back to Vietnam or the Second World War. Modern international laws of war are de were developed largely in response to atrocities of World War II. And that's when he says, oh, and this is somebody's response to that. I'll, read, I'll show you the article in a second. So bottom line, what they're saying is, and this, this is coming, this is the article he's citing. Gaza civilians under Israeli barrage are being killed at historic pace. That's unprecedented, guys. In less than two months, more than twice as many women and children have been reported killed in Gaza than in Ukraine after two years of war. So what, the point is, we're, this, this is citing a Pentagon official. We've got United Nations rapporteurs on torture, on human rights. We've got international lawyers of human rights. We've got every human rights entity anywhere in the world that seems to have any clout in this conversation, all telling you the same thing. But this is the response from the people, the sycophants for Israel and, and Zionism. I don't need to read or educate myself. Good way to start, right? To be 100% sure, this post is poisoned with anti-Semitism or leftist bias. Right, so that's just pure willful ignorance. I don't have to read or think. I'm just going to go with what I'm told. The point is that you're not going to read this because the sentiment goes in a direction that you've been told to not listen to because anti-Semitism. It's sort of like with COVID. La, 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 science is trust the science. I'm not going to listen to you because I was told to trust the science. It's willful stupidity. He says, just tell me about the people killed by Bashar al-Assad, the Taliban, or any war in Iraq. Sick, sick double standard. How were those double standards? You mean the people that were killed by the United States and blamed on Assad? You mean the Taliban that the U.S. government and, the, and literally worked with, or the Israel as well, or Iraq? The, the occupation continued. I mean, what do you think you're trying to say here? The people ignored the atrocities committed by the people that they supported? This is a dumb person who doesn't even understand what he's talking about. But the point is that at the end of the day, you're not going to listen to the experts because you don't like what they're saying? Well, that's just stupid. I'm not saying you blindly trust the experts because, as we clearly saw, they can be wrong too. But at the end of the day, when all of them point in one direction, you should at least consider that. Now, same thing with COVID-19. The point was not all of them pointed in one direction. You had a huge portion of, of most of the highest regarded people that did push back and they got pushed into a corner. 
You don't have two of the leading cardiologists in the world, both in lockstep about how dangerous this is without realizing smart people, at the top of the conversation did see through it. The point here is that you've got literally everybody who has any clout, as I said, telling you this is genocide. That doesn't mean you should listen, do your research. But then when you can literally turn your head and go, oh my God, that's genocide. When you can see what they're doing, when you can see the governments of Israel, the people in the government telling you they want to kill everybody, telling you treat them like Amalek, telling you that they want to make it a parking lot or there are no innocent people or that we should kill them all. I could, I could go on for an hour telling you their statements. It's quite obvious what is happening. Yes, this is unprecedented. Yes, they're committing genocide by every single metric that matters. And as Abir points out, it's not self-defense when you're flattening entire residential neighborhoods, schools, refugee centers, hospitals. Neighborhood schools, centers, hospitals, killing thousands of children and their families, while also cutting off access to food, water, and electricity, right? Tell me this, this is just a casual pinpoint precision attack on Hamas, as opposed to the entirety of Gaza. Because they told you, Gaza doesn't exist anymore. We're taking this area. We're mowing down statues. We're putting up flags by the beach. This is now Israeli territory. That's what they're saying. But we're liars, though, right? Because we're telling you what they're saying publicly? Does that make sense? It's obvious what's happening. And you know it. We all know it. And they know it, too. The liars know it, too. They just have an objective. They have an agenda. Now, to finish, Muhammad also points out a pretty unnerving article from Ynet News. Israel is apparently openly bragging that they've looted $1.4 million, or shekels in this case, or oh, excuse me, it is $1.4 million, 5 million shekels from Gaza. Literally, bragging about stealing $1.4 million U.S. dollars, or 5 million shekels, from the destroyed or forcibly empty homes of a starved, besieged, and extremely impoverished population. So as they forced them from their homes in the north, they apparently robbed and stole from their homes. Think about how grotesque that is. The stolen valuables were, quote, transferred to the state coffers. This is a public statement, guys. Can you believe that? Transferred to the state coffers for the interest of Israel. I'm... <laughs> Well, you want to see some examples? Because it's happening in really obvious ways. Here's a video of a of a pretty much a, a well-known a Palestinian musician who's well-known, who has a guitar that he was given from his father, which is kind of a standout thing in, in Gaza in general. Apparently, he got it stolen by the IDF. And then guess what? The IDF soldier literally posts a video of himself playing on that guitar. This is the epitome of this grotesque occupation. Father gave it to him. Died 15 years ago. They had to flee their home after Israel started bombing the north. They left their, their belongings behind. And then they stole his guitar. It's just so hypocritical. It's so disgusting. Soldier declared the stolen guitar video. 
Oh, excuse me, deleted. So bottom line is everyone got upset about it, and so we deleted the video. Just like every other thing we keep seeing. They get caught lying, we delete it. Here's another example of stealing a necklace and parading it around people. Made in Gaza. Made in Gaza. Made in Gaza. Made in Gaza. Luxury. Infinity. Infinity. So just casually robbing from the people that you have under occupation, right? As Syrian Girl puts it, the IDF are literally gloating about stealing from Palestinians they murdered. It's just, it could not be more obvious. Here's the last video before we end today. It says, can you imagine the brutality that defines how they raise their, how they raise their children? What does it mean to gift your daughter the act of bombing an innocent family's home on her birthday? This bomb is a gift for my daughter on her birthday. She turns two years old. With all my longing, he says. Signal receiving stations. After 10 seconds, they count down. That's all it was. All right, so for his daughter's birthday, he gives her murder. That's what's happening. Lastly, as BBC puts, just so we're clear on this, and I made this, this is what they're telling everybody who will listen, despite Biden lying about it. When this truce, which is stupid because it, it doesn't, it's not a truce, when this temporary pause ends, the decisive next phase of the war begins. They're telling you this. It says, when this ends, Israel experts expect the battle for control of Gaza to resume and last another week to 10 days. They're going to continue carpet bombing. And you understand, there's nowhere for these people to go. They're not being, they're going to try to make this the reason you force them into Egypt or somewhere else. Understand that. They're not letting them in the north. They won't let them back now. They're going to bomb further into the south and they're going to murder all of them or I guess force a country to take them. Or hopefully somebody with a conscience steps in and tells them they have to stop and put these people in prison for committing genocide. But I think you know that's not on the table. I just hope that we can actually get some accountability at some level and get some level of freedom and self-determination for these oppressed people. It's just so grotesque how this continues. And realize that it were t- this is one thing that Dave Smith made very clear with his, with his so-called debate with Laura Loomer, and he absolutely destroyed her. He made the point that Israel had an opportunity after this to prove to the world that they wanted some kind of peaceful situation like they pretend they do with the Palestinians. But we know that's not the case. This is a war on Palestine. They've made that clear with their own statements. But should they, had they have said, here's a two-state solution, We'll make peace so we can together deal with Hamas and made that the point. Because look, the point is Israelis who have family members that were kidnapped or killed, if we can prove that it was actually Hamas and not the IDF who have admitted to killing them, which makes a big difference, doesn't it? But that they would want some accountability, which they deserve too, just like anybody. 
my point though is that this is in a situation now where this has gotten so out of hand, intentionally so. Where at what point does this end up being like the, the Israeli government are the ones putting Israelis at risk and continuing to bomb locations where they might be on top of everything else? On top of the fact that they're an illegal occupation per the United Nations, and these are people that are brought up to the edge of this occupation and inside the occupation, and they continue to take settlements and take illegal areas, which are illegal by every stretch of the imagination per the UN, per the United States, and nobody cares. My point is that it is the Israeli government hindering the accountability for these people, not the other way around. And there are plenty of Palestinians and plenty of Israelis that actually want a two-state solution. Who actually want a situation where they allow themselves to have their own territory with self-determination without the control of Israel, which is what they've always over the top of the entire thing. It's an, it's basically the same control with a different name. So too with the deal of the century with Trump, it's all an illusion. And then of course, when they refuse the provably tainted deal, as Dave also pointed out, the poison pills, so poison that they would never accept it. They turn it down. They go, see, they don't want peace. When in reality, it was never meant to succeed. The bottom line is, this can have a positive end if we allow people with a conscience and with morals and integrity and actually caring about human life decide what ultimately happens here. Some kind of equal, equitable situation. And the Palestinians have been open about that for a very long time. The problem, though, is that this is never going to happen as long as the Zionist government is in control of the way this goes and other governments with some level of influence over the world stage. So people need to stand up. People need to call this out. Align yourselves with the people that care about the truth wherever they are, Israeli, Palestinian, anywhere in the world. Because I'll tell you right now, it is the majority. I can see it. It is time that we marshal this influence to actually change the situation and not just allow can the continuance of this. More killing. I mean, as we can see them committing, the, the world has called them out. The ICC, the United Nations, everybody. And yet it just continues. How are we letting them go back to bombing when everyone everywhere seems to be able to tell that they're breaking the law? How is that possible? Because of the influence of these powerful entities. That's why. That's what we need to change. The, the outlines of the real green pullers have never been more clear. And we need to do something as the peoples of these countries to stop that. For example, people are cheering on. Uh, I'm going to blank on the, wasn't the Netherlands, was it? There's, so they're cheering on, now I'm blanking on the name of the country, a, a newly elected president who's supposed to be a libertarian. And the very first thing he seems to do is go right to Israel and, and is basically doing the same thing they always do, bowing to the Zionist government. It does not seem like it makes sense when you can see the outlines. There's a lot of people, like they want you to see things shifting, but ultimately it doesn't matter unless there's actual self-determination and there's not outside influence by these very surreptitious entities. And that includes the United States government, mind you. But I hope today we got the information out enough to where people can actually make clear decisions based on the information at hand. And it's a developing situation. The reality, though, is that we can see very clearly what this entity always has been, the torture, the detention. It's just time for it to stop. So help me do that. Every day we're doing this, we're trying to bring more truth to the table, trying to influence the conversation in hopes that we can actually change it and not just continue to scream at it from the, from the peripheral. So if you want to support us in doing that, there's a lot of ways to do it. Our links beneath the show, our Substack the donation portal on the website, buy me a copy, subscribe star. But the most important thing, share the link, get the information out, help inform people. 
Also, our autonomy program down below, if you'd like to support that or support us through that platform in general, there's a lot of ways to do it. We'd like to continue to grow and help us do that. Thank you for being here today. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.